Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon The amazing spider talk. The amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Well, thanks for joining us for a brand new episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Dan, for this particular episode, it's one of our special review roundup episodes. Uh, what we've done for these is we've uh, taken a bunch of our Patreon-exclusive episodes and strung them together. In this case, these are the episodes where we reviewed Venom, Inc., including Venom, Inc., Alpha, Amazing Spider-Man number 792 and 793, Venom number 159 and 160, and Venom, Inc., Omega, and then you can just listen to all of these reviews in succession. And just a reminder that each one of these episodes was originally released solely to our Patreon subscribers the week these comics came out. You know, we kind of agreed as we changed the format up of our show to do these roundup episodes at the end of each uh, main story arc uh, after about every six issues or so. But, you know, if you want to get these reviews in real time and not be listening, uh, us talk about comics that came out. Uh, a couple months ago. Uh, what's the solution there, Dan? Yeah, well, you can head on over to our Patreon account where we've already recorded episodes we're crapping most of the Threat Level Red storyline. That's Amazing Spider-Man 794 and 795. So you can follow along with our reviews of Amazing Spider-Man as the issues come out. Just click on the banner that reads Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club and sign on up. You know, Dan, that used to be a lot to say, and then I had to start saying 100 things Spider-Man fans should know and do before they die, and A, the jokes about it kind of came to an end, but B, I just got more used to saying so many words in succession. <laughs> All right, that, that's good to know. I hadn't thought about that. But anyway, before we hear us talk word salad, why don't we get things going and get to our review of Venom, Inc. Alpha. Well, welcome back. Mark and I are here to talk about the latest issue of Amazing Spider-Man. I don't know if this is actually Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, it's a Venom issue, I guess. Are you are you really going to like start bringing up what counts as Amazing Spider-Man right now, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the right way to start off this discussion. Um, you know, but it's a lead-in to a major crossover in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. So I consider it something that I had to have, um, at least in physical form, 
as part of my collection because I want to be able to read uh, those stories. I mean, I don't, not to get into too deep into how we collect, but in terms of big crossover stories, do you go out and get all of the stuff even if it was printed in other comics? Like, I have all of Maximum Carnage. Yeah, oh, absolutely, Dan. I mean, you know, that's that's kind of like, how else are you going to know what's going on, you know? <laughs> so, um, like... Oh, I, I only have the amazing issues of Craven's Last Hunt, you know. So, so the rest of it is a is a mystery to me, <laughs> right? And I think in regards to this Venom Inc. story, this seems pretty essential. I I don't know what it would be like to just pick up Amazing Spider Man and and read this, especially based on the previews that we're getting. It seems like Amazing Spider Man just starts off like it's the next page of this thing, um, right? Which brings up an interesting topic. You know, we're just starting off the legacy uh, storyline where we were promised no crossovers, that it would be a simple reboot for the character, very focusing on, you know, like what makes the character great. And three issues in, we're now on this crossover. Mark, any thoughts about that? Yeah, Dan. I mean (laughs) – when this was first announced a few months ago, and this was before any issue of Legacy had been published yet, and you know, not that that changes things, but the fact is, Legacy was so good, in my opinion, in terms of Spider-Man, that you know, it kind of like, you know, maybe if I knew that Legacy was going to be as good as it was, I, I wouldn't have been so negative. But I was on Twitter saying, you know, kind of WTF is this Marvel? Because you know, you're you're coming in one. One, out of one side of your mouth talking about, you know, crossovers and streamlining continuity and, and you know, like we admit we've, we've, we've been overdoing it, yada, yada. And then in the next breath, it's like, but here's here's not only just a crossover, but it's a crossover starring probably one of the most polarizing characters in Spider-Man's rogues gallery, who in many ways is part partly responsible for kind of the over cross over vacation if you will of spider-man comics certainly in the 90s you know it just kind of felt very like you know it would have been like oh we're gonna do something simple except we're gonna do this storyline called the clone saga (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i i kind of had a very bad taste in my mouth about venom inc to begin with but had kind of a renewed sense of let's see where it goes after the last three issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, so with that setup, um, I don't know. Do you, do you, were 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 your expectations met, Dan, or or surpassed, or were you? <laughs> what do we, What do you think? <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say expectations because I think like the mileage of this issue is really going to be. Based on your expectations, and you said you know you had renewed hope for this because of Amazing Spider-Man, and I had renewed hope for this because of the Venom book, which I think has been you know pretty good. A little strange in that it's gone into this weird Stegron story, which seems like an odd route to go when you like you know first bring back Eddie Brock, but like they went through all these pains to bring Eddie Brock back to Venom after what has it been over a decade uh, where he's not been in the suit. And uh, to me, I didn't love how they got there, but I thought, okay, maybe the debt, you know, the destination will be worth it. Like we'll finally get back to 
a classic interpretation of Venom versus Spider-Man as, you know, this great relationship that um, made Venom popular in the first place, you know? I, I mean, I, 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 maybe it's just my opinion, but I refuse to believe that Venom is beloved because of Toxin and the Clintars and all of this other stuff. Like, people liked Agent Venom, but they really like Venom because Eddie Brock versus Peter Parker, Spider-Man versus his evil shadow, that's the appeal of Venom. And that's what I wanted. Now, I don't know if that's fair to put on this comic, because that's what I wanted. And reading this comic, it seems very clear to me that even after all that work of bringing Eddie Brock back, they did not necessarily want to do that story. We don't know where it's going to go, but already it seems like that was not the intent. A classic Venom story fitting with legacy. And so my expectations were really not met. But I'm also wrestling with whether or not I feel like it's fair to have put those expectations on this book. What do you think, Mark? Well, no, I mean, it's. I think you're being very generous in even questioning the fairness of it. I mean, because for me, that would be exactly what a Marvel legacy story starring Venom should be. And, 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 and putting aside what it should be, I mean, like the fact of the matter is like, like you said, it's, it's been so long since we've had a story like this with Venom. I mean, like, I feel like, you know, they, they beat that formula into the ground so much in the nineties and then had to get away from it that like now they're beating the formula into the ground about, well, there's all these different symbiotes and, and, and spawns of spawns and, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and that like, it's like, get back to the formula, man. The formula, the formula for a while worked. It was just when they like did that story every like six months where it stopped working, you know, but like those first three or four Venom stories are all great. You know, like it's, there's nothing not to love about them. And, and like you said, what, what made Venom so appealing wasn't his spawn or eating brains or any of that. I mean, it was, it was like you said, the dark shadow. It was, it was, the fact that the bully had the powers of Spider-Man finally, you know what I mean? Like, like we, we, we had always seen Spider-Man against the Peter against the bullies and what that meant for him in his personal life. And then here it is in his superhero life. Um, I mean, Venom was the first really main villain that I discovered as a comic book reader. And I loved him because I thought this, this character was just so cool and so dangerous. And how is Spider-Man going to finally beat this character? And we don't, we don't have these stories anymore. And, and you would have thought legacy would have been the perfect time to do that. And instead it's, it's like, I feel like I'm back reading the Colin Bunn Venom run with elements of Venom Space Knight, which I'm going to have to admit to you, Dan, I stopped reading after three issues. So I don't even know what happened. Like I said to you before we started recording, Mania's back. I haven't seen Mania since like 2013. You're like, well, no, technically she showed up in Venom with, with Flash Thompson. I was like, oh, news to me. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the whole Venom thing went downhill when Marvel tried to have their cake and eat it too with He'll be a villain, but he'll also be this lethal protector. And you can't do one without robbing from the other. So if you want him to be an anti-hero, then make him an anti-hero, and he can't really be a full-fledged villain, 
right? And here, I think even just in this issue, talking about this issue, the writers don't know whether Venom is a villain or an anti-hero. And Eddie Brock espouses both beliefs. Like, one second, he's trying to fight the symbiote from killing someone, and the next second, he's willingly diving into embracing the rage of the symbiote. And it's impossible to get a bead on as a reader. You want... I always talk about the mechanics of Spider-Man, like knowing, is he out of web fluid? You know, but it's also the motivations of these characters. I can't enjoy reading this battle if I don't know how all of this functions. And the rules of Venom have been thrown out the window a dozen times. And every new story, it's like, here's five new rules about the Venom symbiote. And it's impossible to read. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with you, and especially to the point of it's very clear that the creative team and there there are a number of creators, both writers and artists that are attached to this uh, story, uh, most notably Dan Slott and Mike Costa, who writes, you know, Mike Costa writes Venom currently. Um, but I mean, even in the pages of Venom under Costa, like I, I, I feel like since Brock has returned, there has definitely been this ambiguity about who this character actually is and what they want with to do with him. Um, it, it, it seems like a lot of the stories have been kind of biding their time to get to this story, this Venom Inc. story, and maybe now we'll start to get some clarity, but there certainly was no clarity in this issue. Um, you know, like, I, it, 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 I don't quite get why Brock is back because I don't feel like they're doing anything with it. I mean, hell, at least in Jerry Conway's carnage, you know, like Brock was kind of just a constant punchline and that felt like a good function for the character, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to add on to that, Mark, what's really strange to me about this tale is, you know, you're doing this crossover. So you'd think that, you know, it's it's all about goosing the numbers on the Venom book, right? You got this really popular, amazing Spider-Man series and a pretty popular Venom series. You're putting the two together, hoping that people that read Spider-Man are going to go pick up this Venom book and be excited about Venom again. But this story is a Venom story. It does none of the work, like you're saying, to catch you up on what's going on with Eddie Brock, what's going on with Mania, who is this Lee Price character? Why does Flash Thompson not have the symbiote? You know, it just assumes you kind of know that. And they had a perfect opportunity to show it from Spider-Man's perspective, who has not interacted with the symbiote in, I don't know, I guess since Superior, really, um, mm. to kind of update everybody on what's going on through Spider-Man's perspective. And they took the exact opposite route. It's like a bizarre editorial choice i don't even know if i have anything to add beyond that i mean it's it's you know there's not enough spider-man in this storyline period um you know this definitely feels like i'm reading an issue of venom but again there's just like all these disparate ideas kind of being thrown out there and nothing that's really cohesively tying it together except you know venom you know, like it's all that it's all about Venom. But like, you know, like, who are these characters? Why should I care about them? Why do I care about Flash Thompson being back again? You know, like, I mean, I because I had not read the Space Knight series, like, you know, I kind of really had lost 
my connection to, to Flash and I was almost like, oh, look, Flash is back. And like we had a little bit of that interaction with Peter, but it was like it, it was so superficial and like, yeah, you know, I need you to get your friend Spider-Man in. And like, you know, this like very superficial acknowledgement of, of Peter and Spider-Man's current status quo post the fall of Parker Industries. So like even that's a missed opportunity. Right. You know and, what and, I mean? And it, it kind of misunderstood that. Like to me, this issue seems like it's written by Mike Costa and not really Dan Slott because he really beats up on Peter Parker in this in a way that Slott never did in those first three fall of Parker issues. Like Peter is really shown to be a sad sack in this in this issue am i did you pick up on that as well or is that just me i don't know if i saw it to, to that degree but I, I like i said i just found it to be very superficial like it was just like oh yeah by the way stuff's going on in your book but that's not really important right now you know that was kind of how i saw it you know yeah. <laughs> like like you know like yeah i mean you could say it was a misunder a mis a misinterpretation of what slot had done i mean i guess you know if anything you know the slotisms that i kind of saw in this storyline was kind of the the overuse again of like third string or fourth string villains kind of popping up out of nowhere and 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 this this book was just kind of chock full of them i mean like you know we we, we talked about how through the first few issues of legacy amazing spider-man it was like oh we got the griffin and oh we got you know like all these different like individual villains and you know we've kind of seen this this trope if you will with um dan slot spider-man where like you know we kind of bring in a, a joke villain for a couple of panels and it, and it, and, it, and, it, and it's functional and it's fun you know like oh look spider-man's fighting the iguana but like i felt like this this comic in terms of like their connections to venom and getting the symbiote and all that it was just beating you over the head with it like 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 you know it was like everybody can be a venom including the prowler including i mean who else was there, there was a bunch of, of these characters right i'm not i'm not just imagining that right no they there was a whole scene at the guggenheim where the ringer and the tumbler are trying to yes. steal artwork and for some reason the black cat shows up for like two panels and then is like see you later and right. none of it has anything to do with the rest of the story in any way unless those guys are all planning on coming back later in the story. But in this issue, it's just like, oh, we just wasted four pages. And then the really weird thing in this scene for me was Spider-Man getting pinned under that art that artwork. It's yes. like – you mean the guy that can lift tons of metal off of him can't lift a small piece of artwork off of him? Yeah, I guess if I if I was to earn my no prize here, I would say like my interpretation of that whole thing was like, oh well, because of the black cat's bad luck powers, he couldn't lift it all of a sudden. That's that's a serious no prize. I'm I'm gonna mail that one to you right now. Here we go. All right, I'm all right. But I mean, you know what I mean. But that that was that. But you're right. Otherwise, it made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just was like, what is even happening right now? Uh, like I get Spider-Man straining to push the like anti-venom serum at the end of the issue, which is about the only thing he does of any consequence in this issue. Um, but what? But P.S. Like how did how did Flash just become anti-venom? I don't know. I mean, I guess this scientist had been cultivating anti-venom stuff. 
how? I don't really know. It was such a random transformation, and and it just kind of like really stuck to the excesses of this issue. You know, like we like you know, like you mentioned, we had mania and you had all these like third string villains and then you had black cat and now you have flash becoming anti-venom and then it's like all these other characters are becoming venom at the end and and you're just like what's the story here like just the simplify this everything has been simplified to in this series until now and now all of a sudden it's like now we're gonna we're gonna make we're basically gonna do spider-verse but for venom and i'm like no don't do spider-verse for venom please they they already did it was called venom verse if you don't remember earlier no i didn't read it i didn't read it (laughs) i was like (laughs) i don't need this with venom i'm not one of these like symbiote fanatics you know like i i these are the comics i read as a kid i love them but like i don't need more symbiotes It's it is not layperson friendly. Like it's just all these weird questions. Like, are they? Is this scientist? Does he have Martin Lee locked up in a room somewhere producing anti venom for him? Like, what is happening? <laughs> One thing where I do think our opinions might diverge a bit was uh, is in terms of the artwork. You know, we had Ryan Stegman who did the the pencils on this, and I I, I got to be honest with you, Dan, I loved it. I loved every this was this was Stegman at his most McFarlane, which I felt given the subject matter was perfect. Yeah, like I mean this just, is the return of McFarland's Eddie Brock. Yeah. I mean this was just kind of grossly over exaggerated, but still kind of cool and dynamic and gnarly in that nineties way. Um, you know, Stegman has on multiple occasions cited McFarland's 90s spider-man is kind of his 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 main muse in terms of how he does spider-man um and it's just all over this book and for me that was that was the one kind of saving grace was i thought this book was pretty you know i i I, like the story made no sense to me and has has very little appeal to me but the the artwork was was brilliant for me and i agree with you on the most part i think his paneling here is a lot less interesting than what he was doing in Renew Your Vows just recently. Um, And I think in that book he was really trying out a lot of new things with textures that don't really show up here. But I love his, you know, rendition of Venom and and Eddie Brock. Um, I do think his flash is kind of unrecognizable. Mm. Like he's just kind of like every other person except that he has no (laughs) legs. Like Fair it just enough. doesn't really look like a like Flash Thompson uh, to me. Not that Flash is that discernible in the first place. Right, um, right. But I know what you're saying. It, 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 I, I agree with that. Yeah, um, and we get this new colorist who's kind of become the new colorist on um, all of uh, these new Spider books. We we've kind of had this rotating door of every couple of years a new colorist comes in and takes over. Uh, everything and this is Brian Reber, and um, his style's a little glossier than uh, I've been. Like you know, Justin Ponzer, who recently seems to either he's taking a break or you know whatever. Moving um, on, yeah. Yeah, uh, I like Brian Reber's work. I think it's a little too shiny for me. <laughs> like there's just a lot of gradients going on, but I really like the scene at the end at that bar with the looter. It looked like uh, all the characters were like swimming in bourbon, but like in a good way. Um, 
And we how haven't mentioned ever, how is there a bad way to swim in bourbon? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've not really mentioned yet, but the looter is in this comic, um, which should win a lot of points for me. And I love the looter, but even that wasn't enough to really bring me back around on this thing. Yeah, and I mean, but like I said, it kind of went part and parcel with this idea of I feel like this comic was too much of a bad thing when it comes to the 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 D-list villain joke. Like like I'm past this now. Like like okay, we 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 had a whole series dedicated to the D-list villains and superior foes of Spider-Man, which was brilliant. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but in, in recent years, we've kind of had more of this like, oh, hey, look, it's the grizzly and oh, look, it's mine worm. And oh, now we're going to get the griffin in. And, and and like in one offs, these are jokes. But this to me, this was too much. It was just too much. And, and having the looter show up and do his thing at the end was just it was just evidence of that. It was they're, they're trying too hard now. It's like like, OK. We get it. These are the bad villains that everyone likes to make fun of. But, you know, like, you know, unless you're going to throw poor Mirage off a roof again, I'm just not interested. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To me, the heart of this story seems to be something like all of the different people who have occupied the Venom symbiote at some point in time are going to be jockeying for control of this symbiote versus whoever is, you know, turning all these people into Venom lackeys. I'm guessing it's Lee Price, if I had to kind of guess who the person was. I'm not that interested in that storyline, because I feel like we just got that in the pages of Venom proper, and that it was resolved with Eddie Brock. It's It's hard for me, because I'm like... My expectations might just be that I want a very different story than this, and I don't really know how valid of a criticism that is. But I guess with your support, you're saying that's totally valid, Dan. Yeah, I will completely validate you when it comes to this because, um, you know, I, I mean, Dan, the the fact of the matter is we have both been, I feel, very, very fair and positive about spider-man comics for the better part of what six months now maybe even longer um you know we feel that things have gone in the right direction but this kind of like this series and 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 you know i i I think you're right in that this feels like this was more of the venom creative team's work than the amazing spider-man creative team's work but at the same token like this felt like a return to more muddy the days of Spider-Man storytelling, say more of like the volume three years um, in terms of just a very kind of frenetic focus, not a lot of um, focus on character, um, just trying to just tr- everything is just about executing a story and even at the expense of logical, reasonable things and characters acting out of character and things like that. So that's a disappointment to me. And I think if that's the direction that the story is going to be in, then any kind of criticism about our expectations or whatever, I think it's fair game because if, if they're going to, if, if, if Marvel is going to go back to that watering hole, instead of doing what they had been doing well, the last six months, I think anything is fair to criticize. 
Yeah, and especially the timing of this is really bad. Like, the legacy promise immediately being broken is not really that encouraging. No. Uh, do you have a final grade on this? Yeah, um, I'm going to give this one a C-. minus. And I am right there with you, my friend. We, we, I think we – have we diverged on anything recently? <laughs> I think like maybe slight degrees of separation, but we've been pretty lockstep on all these books. Excellent. All righty, listeners. I hope you enjoyed listening to that review. I know some of you are probably thinking, I'd almost forgotten what happened in that issue. I wish I could have heard that review when that issue came out. I, I mean, there's got to be at least one person who thought that, Dan. Um, <laughs> well, again, that's why we have our Patreon page, so you could do exactly that. Remember, if you click on the link in this podcast or on the uh, banner on superiorspidertalk.com, you can go directly to our Patreon page, and for just three ninety nine a month, one comic, three ninety nine, you can join us as we record these episodes in real time. Yeah, and I hope you do because, as always, it's a great way to support what we do and allow us to keep doing shows like this one, book guests for our regular episodes of our show like that awesome Jerry Conway episode we just did, and find time for all the research it takes for Mark and I to put on a show like ours. But enough hemming and hawing. Let's get to the next review episode. This time, Mark, you and I discuss Amazing Spider-Man number 792, so I hope you guys enjoy this. But yeah, so this issue, it's part two of Venom, Inc. I guess it's, you know, the first kind of full Spider-Man issue installment. I mean, the last one was an alpha issue. You know, I always love these alpha and omega storylines. You know, an event, even though there were no, no more events for a while. <laughs> I didn't think that alpha issues were typically part one of events. Don't they typically, like precede the event and then we get the parts well it, i guess it depends because we've also had like like first like spider island we had like prologue issues and stuff like that but like the alpha and omega issues to me if you know and obviously listeners correct me if i'm wrong i feel that was something that kind of came to birth in the 90s like i remember like age of apocalypse had an alpha and an omega to the beginning and end it and um, that was kind of like independent of all the other X-Men titles and the Clone Saga, too, or at least Maximum Clonage, the the great, the, the, the big stunning conclusion not of the Clone Saga <laughs> was an Alpha and Omega uh, storyline as well that kind of like preceded all the intertwining Spider-Man books, um, you know, because there was already six Spider-Man books. What's wrong with a seventh and an eighth? <laughs> <laughs> I just got the sense that they wanted a new number one associated with this. So they're like, okay, great. Uh, alpha number one. And yeah. we're going to get an Omega number one. Well, Dan, just like a lot of those 90s storylines that, I mean, not so much Age of Apocalypse. A lot of people love that. But, you know, certainly Maximum Clonage, um, you know. This this storyline in here in Spider-Man Venom Mink that kicks off with an Alpha um, – I don't know, Dan. I'm not. We we talked about this a bit when we were talking about the alpha issue. I mean, you know, is it truly fair of us to kind of 
be dissatisfied with a story more because it didn't meet our expectations of what we think a story should be. And I still think that's a valid point. I mean, maybe, you know, if we're just, you know, why, should we really truly be judging it? But the same token, I don't know. There's something very kind of within innate to this story for me right now that makes me feel like, no, this isn't it. This isn't working. This is, this is, this just seems like a big jumbled mess of ideas, uh, and characters without really any explanation, characters doing dumb stuff to advance the plot. Uh, just a lot of, you know, as I was writing this review on the site last week, Dan, you know, initially I was kind of coming at it from the, well, I don't want to be unfair to it. And then as I started pointing out the flaws of execution, I was like, no, no, this really wasn't very good. <laughs> well, now that we're like on part two, I just want to be clear, part part two. Uh, Correct. <laughs> now that we're on part two, like I think we're beyond expectations. We're in the story now and my complaints have nothing to do with uh, where they're taking Venom or whatever. I mean, I still wish it was different, but I'm not really thinking about that as much when reading this. I actually just thought that this issue, more than just being a mess, was just boring. Like, there's just really nothing interesting that happens. You know, it's Spider-Man and Flash escape with the Venom symbiote, then they build a tracking device with part of the Venom symbiote that's literally just like a circular thing with an arrow on it. And then they go to confront, you know, the symbiote, rogue symbiote, which has taken over Black Cat's gang. And that's it. There's not really a story here. I mean, it's just traveling around town and building devices and... Just yeah. kind of like endless minutia that's been so boring in so many of these events. Yeah, I, I mean the, the the pacing is just bizarre. Um, like especially considering, I mean, I know it's Dan Slott and Mike Costa. Although I got to be honest, from a from a dialogue and scripting standpoint, this definitely felt more in Slott's terrain based on what I've read of from Mike Costa. Um, but, you know, they get co-credit, so I don't want to, like, make that assumption. But, like, you know, usually, you know, the thing we joke about sometimes is, you know, Dan Slot books are packed with too much stuff going on. And this was, like, like, did you especially find, like, the stuff in the beginning with Spider-Man and Flash to be maddeningly, maddeningly slow-paced? Like, I just felt like it was just like, what are you doing, Flash? I'm not going to tell you until three pages later. Okay, I'm doing this now. Oh, why are you doing that, Flash? I'm not going to tell you for a few more pages. Okay, now I'm going to tell you, right? I mean, am I am I imagining that? That was kind of how this thing was drawn out. There was no rhythm to it whatsoever. No, I don't think you're crazy in that regard. I, I also just thought it was overwritten in a way that we haven't seen in a slot book in a while, which is why I'm almost the opposite of you. I'm hesitant to credit this to slot, even though it does read so much like a slot event book. We haven't seen this kind of overwritten uh, stuff from slot in a while. Like I think the best example is the beginning of the book – they, you know, he's trying to figure out whose side anti-venom is on, as if that was really a question, considering it's anti-venom. Anti-venom. Uh, 
And then once he figures out he's you know against Venom, he socks Venom in the face in this big s- splash by you know Ryan Stegman. But then you know whoever wrote this or added the dialogue felt like they needed to add this back and forth between Spider-Man and Venom while Venom is getting punched in the face. And it's totally unnecessary, and there's so much of that in this book, whereas I feel like in recent issues of Amazing Spider-Man, that has been really reduced. We only were getting dialogue when it was key to the plot, and now we're getting it stuffed in every nook and cranny of the page. Yeah, no, I, I I get what you're saying. I guess it was just like some of some of the jokes kind of felt very slottish. I mean, I I I I'm kind of at a. It's been a week since I've read the book, Dan, so I'm like at a loss on some of the jokes. But I don't know, just some of the dialogue felt a little little corny. But yeah, I see what you're saying because also like one of the things, and this kind of mystified me, was that uh, Flash and Spider Man like. There was just no dynamic there at all. It was these were literally just characters doing stuff. It almost felt independent of each other, yet they were supposedly teaming up. Like like it it, it felt very like very much in a vacuum from you know and separate separate from each other. Like I don't know. I would think that there would be a little more banter and jokes and maybe Flash would be, I don't know, more effusive of Spider Man since this is his hero and I, I, I know that there must have been some kind of interchange during the Venom Space Knight series that I gave up on reading, but it's, you know, for for most of the rest of civilization who didn't read that book, um, this is really the first time Spider-Man and Flash have been together in a while, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's like they're already bored of each other, even though they yeah. really only spent a small portion of time together. And there's also something really interesting in this book. We didn't really talk about it in our last review is like this strange murder spree that Spider-Man wants to go on in regards to the Venom symbiote. I mean, I get it. You know, he's like, I'm tired of dealing with the responsibilities that I, you know, I'm responsible for in regards to all the offspring of Venom that I feel guilty about, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, but he's really on track to, you know, murder the symbiote, which I don't have a lot of compassion for. Uh, <laughs> like, right. go ahead and kill it. Fine. Yeah, uh, but it still seems like Spider-Man would try and find another way. Yeah, but but even then, there's there's no exploitation of the interesting uh, character wrinkles that that could provide for Flash Thompson, right? He finally reunites with Spider-Man, a guy he really looks up to and is a huge fan and can tell him, you know, how much he's been inspired by, only to find out that that guy essentially wants to destroy the thing that has allowed him to become a superhero. So why not play with that dynamic a little bit? You know, like Flash re you know, reassessing his, you know, love of Spider-Man or his allegiance to Spider-Man in some interesting ways. Instead, they're just kind of like two guys that are forced to be together. Uh, Yeah. uh, That's all I can say. (laughs) Right, right. And I guess, you know, in addition to Flash and Spider-Man, you know, kind of the other major subplot of this book is the kind of Lee Price venom-fied takeover of the black cat gang but again it just 
none of these scenes scenes had anything clicking and and this was something I, I, I got to say, I, I, I got to lay at the feet at the at the art a little bit here, because not that not that the art stuff is necessarily going to pick up a script that's lacking any punch. But like, you know, here's an like with Ryan Stegman's pencil and, and inks here. I mean, like they are they, they look good on like from a technical standpoint they're, they're they're very attractive images it's very heroic and and you know like it just feels very big and mcfarlane-esque and larger than life when people are cracking punches on each other but at the same token like i feel like the the designs and the layouts of these scenes where there's a lot of action going on with a lot of characters there's just nothing that's drawing any kind of eye appeal for me i mean like you have like you're using all these loser characters like the looter and uh, and what's his uh, – oh, I'm drawing blanks again. Um, <laughs> well, Mac Gargan uh, is in it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like like they're just punching and kicking each other. I mean even Hammerhead, like you get like one obligatory like Hammerhead's head is down shot. But like there's no sense of what makes these characters unique and kind of fun and goofy it's just it's just a melee with nothing going on it's really static too like i, I yeah. don't really get any dynamism to this book it's i mean even beyond just people punching each other it's a lot of people standing around like there's the reveal of the new scorpion i guess i'm not really sure what to make of it i guess the Venom symbiote combining with the other Venom symbiote brought out his scorpion. I mean, this this thing has been done so inconsistently. Like, remember when the scorpion was really injured at the hands of Superior Spider-Man? I guess that's not a thing anymore. Um, nor, nor is the vulture blind. but Or have robot eyes or whatever that, that thing right. was. Um, but... You know, we get this transformation scene, which is kind of cool, I guess. It looks like the scorpion with some black stuff on him. But there's Black Cat and Lee Price just standing around in the background yeah. talking to each other like, maybe we should fight one-on-one. -on -one. And it's like, wait a minute. Aren't you guys already fighting? You're in a gang war. Yeah. Fight yeah, with each I, other. Yeah. I mean <laughs> – Crisis of Infinite Earths, this is not in terms of interesting stuff going on in large crowded scenes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's just disappointing because I, I really enjoy Ryan Stegman's art and, you know, like some of the, some of the pages that are included in the review on Superior Spire Talk. I mean, it's attractive artwork. It's like stuff where if I was maybe going through a book, I'd go, oh, I'd buy, I'd buy that, that art, but like, in the context and the flow of this issue of this moving, you know, trying to progress a story forward through through sequential art, it, it doesn't do it. it it's just very, like you said, static and lifeless. And uh, it's like I said, it's just a disappointment for me. And um, you know, and like, and even the, I feel like the 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 characters who are being venomified or whatever the heck the the terminology is, like the the designs of it, like I mean. To me, this looks like the Court of Owls from Batman. It does. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a and, good point. And, and I'm just like, we couldn't do anything better than this? Like, it just looks very odd. And, like, it's like, it's off-putting, but not like, oh, this is, like, 
really tense and making me feel the tension of the book. It's just like, eh. like it's just kind of like, oh, they're wearing masks that are very plain, that are kind of look like venom. I guess I don't know. Even the final shot of the book is just kind of. I mean, it's a nice looking image where they're kind of in the shadows and stuff, but it's pretty conventional venom art. I was kind of hoping for something a little more wild from Ryan Stegman. Um, I do, though, I do like how he renders the people underneath the Venom suits. Like yes. You can always see their mouths inside the Venom mouth. I think that's interesting. I, you know, the way artists play with that, sometimes Venom is like, the minute Eddie Brock gets the suit on, there's no human there anymore. It's like this amorphous blob. And I kind of like it when the suit is a bit more physical and physically oriented. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't – everything shouldn't look the same just because it's the symbiote, you know? Like there should be character underneath the character. <laughs> it's not a total dismissive of Ryan, but like at the same token, like, you know, the script is not helping anything and then the art isn't helping the script. And, 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 and you know, when you when we're talking about – was this Dan Slottis, is like Costa? I mean, you know, we can go back to – we've been liking a lot of ASM lately with Dan Slott. But we've also those issues have also had Stuart Eminent on it, who we've talked about at length that we feel that he's kind of bringing out the best in the writing team right now. Um, and it, there's just something to be said about having someone who's just on another planet in terms of how he can advance a story with his artwork. Yeah, absolutely. And I also am still a little confused about who Ryan Stegman is as a creator right now. Is he a writer? Is he an artist? Is he both? He seems to be operating on multiple levels for Marvel right now, which makes him a really interesting guy. I yeah. just kind of want to see where he lands ultimately. And I'm also still really intrigued by what happened with Renew Your Vows and Jerry Conway. We're going to have yeah. to have him back on the podcast to talk about that at some point. Absolutely. Um, and Ryan, and Stegman did the inks on this too, right? It's not just pencils, right? Yeah, he did do the inks as well. I mean, he's yeah, a... Just He's a true McFarlane file. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. Um, Uh, One last thing I wanted to say, or however many things we have also to say, is (laughs) I was really frustrated by uh, this assertion that Venom, or I guess Venom, Lee Price Maniac, I guess they're calling him, and Black Hat would have this one-on-one fight uh, to determine, you know, who would win in this gang war. First of all, kind of (laughs) dumb. Second right. of all, if you're going to tease that, then show us that. Don't have it happen off panel. Right, right. I mean, you know, I find it patently ridiculous that they would even portray Black Cat like she's a brawler or something. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, they they right. they have they have strayed so far to who from what Black Cat, what I always envision Black Cat to be. That it's just kind of like, all right, whatever. Do we want to um, reawaken the argument of Black Hat shouldn't be evil? <laughs> well, no, no. I'm, 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 I, I've, I've conceded that. But, you know, like, like is she really, you know, we, are, are we really, was there any doubt that Black Cat was going to be able to physically overcome someone with a, powered by a symbiote? A former, no. like, U.S. Army, whatever he was, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> special ops guy? I mean, come on. Yeah, so that 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 definitely was frustrating. Just showing it off panel, especially since like we kind of knew what was going to happen. Like, 
you know, maybe you could have done something interesting to put it in doubt, you know, like show black cats, black bad luck powers, maybe almost overcoming him or something or whatever. I come on. Um, you also, know, what's something... up with this five families thing? Like that she owes money to the five families. Do, do you even know what that's a reference to? I don't know. I, that might be from like the Lee Price issues of Venom. Yeah, perhaps Black, it is. Black Hat, like... Black Hat is literally everywhere in the Spider Office right now. Like she's in Miles's book, she's in Peter's book, she's in Venom's book. I, I, I lose track because I just don't care enough about this character. I'm sorry. <laughs> and all of those stories, all of those various stories, have been really like, uh, like unended. You know, like she showed up in Miles's book for a few issues and seemed to be a big villain there, and then nope, she's gone. Like, there's no consistency with this character, even across multiple titles. She's just kind of this, you know, like, plug in the gang lord, you know, of the week kind of thing. So, who knows what we'll get now that Kingpin is the mayor. I mean, who knows (laughs) what kind of weird stories we're going to get out of that. Right, right. So, uh, just in terms of another point of frustration for me, you know, I mentioned this in the review, Dan, it's like, you know, okay, yeah, ha ha, Marvel Legacy, no more events after, you know, or, or, or moratorium on events, and here we are, we have an event. But at the same token, like, you know, I, I really enjoyed the Fall of Parker storyline. I felt that they were introducing some new ideas. And in this issue specifically, like, the, the, the lip service that those new ideas get paid was just so superficial and pathetic. I mean, like, there's, like, that one panel with Betty Brant showing up primarily to promote the annual that's coming out. Was it next month or whatever that is? I mean, it's, you know, but like, just so, just so you can have Betty Brant, you know, exposit like, Oh, Peter, shouldn't you be at the daily bugle with your new job? Or do you want to lose it? Like, come on. Like, 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 (laughs) like that's, 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 that's pathetic. I I know that's strong, but come on. Like you got (laughs) to, What are you doing? Or like, or we're in we're in my girlfriend Bobby Morse's house, but we don't have anything with with Mockingbird and Bobby, or you know what I mean? Like, like that's 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 awful. Like, why are you bringing up these things and then like then just don't mention it at all? Like, just, <laughs> Can't you wait for the payoff to those really dramatic stakes where Peter loses his job only six issues into this new status quo? Right. <laughs> <laughs> or loses his job in like a one-off panel with Betty Brant, who like we really haven't had much time with in years. <laughs> so, but like, Ned Leeds is alive, Mark. It's Ned I know, Leeds. I know we're Ned's clone at least. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's just this is very like uh, the word I keep coming back to is disappointing, Dan. It's 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 a total letdown, and and you know like <laughs> you know there's this. I'm from the newspaper business, and we have this old expression where you're you're only as good as your last byline, <laughs> and it's like you know I feel, kind of feel that way with with things right now. We were riding high on this book, Dan, for for months, and a storyline like this can bring you right back to those days where you're like, oh god, am I, am I gonna like have to like painfully go through a, a big Spider-Man story now for the next couple of months, or is this you know? Well, it does sound like it's going to end pretty soon. <laughs> right. It seems like it's kind of weekly. So by the end of December, we might be, you know, onto the next thing, which, 
you know, uh, going back to like brand new day, it's like get in and get out. And thankfully, you know, it seems like we're going to be able to get in and get out. And now we're getting the solicits. It seemed to have venom right back to where it was beforehand. So it's like, it also seems like whatever the inevitable end of this story is, it's going to be really inconsequential. Yay. (laughs) But then we've got other solicits that show Spider-Man in the black costume. So what do I know? Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, Dan, do you want to do we want to go into grades here? Yeah, sure. What are you giving um, it, Mark? You're you're the I, one who reviewed I'm, it. I'm going to give it a D plus. That's and one I'm, of my lowest <laughs> grades in a really long time, Dan. I'm right there with you. This thing is solid D plus. Yeah, it did. It didn't fail, but we're we're on the cusp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, boy. All right. Well, this is a this is a nice memory of. How things used to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. I hope you enjoyed that review of Amazing Spider-Man number seven ninety-two. You know, Mark, I've written down here this whole speech about Patreon and how awesome our club is, how awesome our fans are, and and you know, talking all about our recent extended interview with Jerry Conway about his time on Renew Your Vows. What what do you think? Do you think I should read this whole thing? Dan, 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 no one wants to hear more about the Patreon page. Our listeners already know it is the best way to support us and get all these amazing episodes for just the price of one comic a month, especially for that Jerry Conway interview. I mean, come on. You all already know about that really exclusive, awesome info we got on that. But, um, you know, while, while, while you all think about how awesome you already are for being subscribers, uh, let's get to the review of Venom number 159. Well, today we're going to be talking about the next part of the Venom Inc. arc, and uh, that's Venom number 159. We're already at 159 issues of Venom, Mark. Can you believe it? Yeah, I feel like just yesterday we were on issue six, but, you know, that's probably because we were. <laughs> so this is part three of the Venom Inc. arc. We're kind of reaching the halfway point, at least once this is over. Um, and it's the first part of this that's been formally a Venom issue. So, you know, we got the Mike Costa uh, as the writer and Gerardo Sandoval on the art. Uh what did you think about this issue, Mark? I'm still kind of struggling with Venom Inc. as a whole, Dan, so uh, it's hard for me to really get too jazzed up about anything. You know, it was interesting to kind of see what this story looks like, um, not under Ryan Stegman's pen. I mean, we, we love Ryan as an artist and think he's done some good work, but, um, you know, I think Sandoval's art be, was a little more reserved, and I think as a result was kind of worthwhile, don't you think? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you. We, we can't sing the praises of Ryan Stegman enough, but for me, this issue felt like the art finally was in sync with this event, and I, I'm still with you. I don't, I'm not really digging this story, but I felt like for kind of like a Venom slugfest, which is what this is kind of turning out to be, 
the art was a little more inventive in this issue in regards to like character design and and layouts and kind of using the venom idea to its maximum potential and so i liked this issue i think better than all the other ones that have come before it yeah i i i i tend to agree with you um you know, it it's the problem still for me, Dan, is just what this story is and what they're trying to go for here. Um, you know, kind of reading through Venom Inc. and getting to this issue specifically, which is supposed to be kind of, I would presume, more of a Venom story than a Spider-Man story. I mean, it kind of made me realize something. I mean, we've kind of talked and tap danced around this idea for, for a few months now preceding the story about – you know, the return of Eddie Brock to the symbiote and what that means. And, you know, I don't think any of us were ever truly happy with how that was kind of brought back together a few months ago when Marvel went ahead and did that. And, you know, I think there was a part of us that was kind of like, well, you know, wait and see for the payoff. And this would, you would think, be the payoff. And it hasn't been. And, and, it, and it does make me wonder, like, outside of, like, the old school fans like you and I, Dan, who grew up on Eddie Brock as Venom, I mean, do, has this story given you any sense as to who Eddie is and why anyone who is not a uh, hardcore Marvel fan, a Venom fan, should care about this character? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. And I think it's it's good that you pointed it out. And I think the main thing for me that's lacking here is a kind of, like, consistent – internal monologue from Eddie. The only beat we seem to be getting from him is that he is constantly fighting back this Venom symbiote or his urges to get angry. And and that's certainly appropriate for Eddie, you know, through all of his various depictions. But I, I don't really cheer for him. If this is a Venom book that's built on us kind of following this protagonist, I'm, I don't really care about him as a protagonist. And... He's not being given anything interesting to do here, uh, you know. The, specifically to the broader plot of this story, he's reunited with his symbiote by the end of this, which he just lost two issues ago. But there doesn't really seem to be anything that he's gained through that process. He just kind of like put it aside or had it taken away from him, and then just kind of gets it back. There's no growth. There's no like rethinking his determination or I don't know what is motivating this character or does that speak to the heart of your complaints? Yeah. I mean, like to me, this is like a textbook example of telling and not showing. I mean, um, I mean, again, this complaint kind of precedes Venom Inc, but I think the flaws are, are more pronounced here because this is this kind of, you know, event that's not truly an event, but a big, a big deal story involving this character. I mean, they're bringing him into the world of the more popular character that is Spider-Man. So thus, uh, you know, we should be getting a better sense of who this character is. And the fact of the matter is it's, it's, we're just kind of being told like, well, it's Eddie Brock is Venom. Like, this is what you wanted. And then, and you know, it, it kind of got me thinking, I'm like, you know, Eddie Brock as a character, the most significant thing he's had to do, the last few years in Marvel canon is being the guy that everyone told to shut up in the Carnage series, which <laughs> P.S., as much as we enjoyed that Carnage series, was read by what, 15, 16,000 people an issue? 
So like we're, we're we're really reaching here. I mean like who 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 are these people who have been following Eddie Brock and like yeah, you know, I know it's Marvel Legacy and they're trying to tap into the the past of in the history of Marvel in this series, but like, you know, Dan, I mean like Venom is and Eddie Brock is Venom was at last truly significant almost 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's a long, long time ago. And, and 20 years ago, frankly, was the point where, like, everyone was kind of getting tired as Eddie as Venom. And, like, everyone kept trying to find ways to separate Eddie from the symbiote because they wanted to go in the new direction with the character. So if we're really reaching back, we're talking 20, 25 years ago that this character was a big deal. And and Marvel has done nothing to establish what is significant about this and what what is significant about Spider-Man and Eddie Brock specifically as Venom. Uh, being event worthy and, and this, it's just, it's just relying on like, well, it's a big deal because we say it is. And I think for the mo- most part, that is just my overarching complaint with this story as a whole is this all this like, well, just trust us, you know, like, like they're introducing these characters and these dynamics from stories that frankly people probably didn't read, like, you know, Mania and, 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 Lee Price and all these characters and it's like you know if 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 you're not going to treat it as like you know trying to build the stakes and, and then then what's the point of this whole thing this is this is a pointless exercise because you you just cannot assume that everyone is as dedicated to the world of Spider-Man as you and I Dan and we're going to read every little thing and know who all these characters are but even if you have done that it's it's internally inconsistent you know, like yeah. Eddie Brock is not this kind of guy. He's had a big change in his life to kind of become a better person and 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 reclaim himself from his actions when he was Venom. You know, like we had that whole great thing. You know, you, you relegated Brock by saying, oh, he just, you know, was a punchline in Carnage, and he was. But before that, he was also something really interesting. He was this, you know, self-perceived messianic character as anti-venom during the the spider island event and that was a really cool thing to read about uh eddie brock i i you know we got a little bit there but it was a really interesting decisive thing to make for the character that made sense it was born out of his history here we've got a guy that's both unmoored from his own continuity you know uh and from any kind of like real stakes or any kind of perceived specialness uh anymore so they've literally done nothing in any of the categories to sell us on why we should be excited about eddie's return and why this story is important especially when the story is just literally him walking in a direction until he bumps into the venium symbiote again which it's spectacularly drawn like him regaining the costume and becoming this hulking figure it looks great but there's no, nothing there supporting it. So, like, I could I could praise Gerardo Sandoval's artwork all day long, and I'm sure I will continue to do that throughout this podcast. But ultimately, like, art needs to be supported by a good story. Yeah, and and I mean, something that I think is kind of also, in retrospect, disappointed me is how when they relaunched Venom, what was it? In early, let's just say in 2017, because I'm I'm kind of losing track as to when 
it officially relaunched, but with with Lee Price as Venom, you know, like to me, like that was a very interesting concept because in that story we were dealing with kind of the symbiote being what pushed back for the first time, you know, in in terms of against its 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 host uh, and 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 the innate good and evil of the host, and that was like an interesting spin on the whole Venom concept, and you know they 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 played with that for a few issues and then abandoned it to do this whole thing to bring Eddie back. And, and like you're saying, they, they, they haven't done anything to like, again, what is the, what is the inherent drama here with Eddie and the symbiote? Is it this, I mean, Eddie wants to be Venom again, right? I mean, so what, what are we actually dealing with? Is the symbiote so damaged that it can't do what it needs to do? If that's the case, I don't sense that in how these how the story is being written. Uh, is it being tempted to go back to Lee? I don't sense that either. So what's what what are the stakes here? And, and, and do do you have a sense? Am I missing something here? No, it, it's all very confusing, and it kind of cuts to the core of all the problems. As we've been saying through all these reviews, I think with Venom, modern Venom stories is they're far too complicated. There, there's there's no way to like figure out the mythology of Venom anymore. It is so needlessly complicated. And and when really the the pleasure of Venom was the simplicity of it. It's just an evil Spider-Man. You know, like I mean to really get down to its core. Yeah. It's the spider bully. It's yeah. you know what I mean like And and you know, I laugh too because you know, we've heard for years and years that Carnage could never make a good ongoing character because, you know, Carnage is kind of one note. And I don't disagree with that per se, uh, although I did like the recent Carnage series more so than past ones. But, you know, at least like I feel like with Carnage, we've we figured it out in terms of they just, you know, you treat them like a force of nature, like a hurricane in in supervillain form and you're fine. But like you said, we, the Marvel doesn't seem to know what it wants to do with Venom. It, it, it's it's really kind of disconcerting because it's like you want to make him the centerpiece of of his own series of these big events with your flagship or one of your flagship characters, but you really have no idea of what you actually want with this character and and you know until that is decided upon i i don't know if i can get behind these stories i mean it's one of unfortunately many issues i have with venom inc but it, it is a overarching factor i mean it's like what wh- who is venom what is venom what am i supposed to care about venom for the fact that all these people are getting venom powers like so what like like venom venom has been very ambiguous for the most part, since, I mean, okay, we had anti-Venom, but even beyond that, like, since the, the Thunderbolt days, when he was, like, one of Norman Osborn's lackeys, you know? Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, on on the other end of that, you know, that's all about Eddie Brock. You know, not much to do with him in this story. Um, we've got this whole other arc going on with the Black Cat and Lee Price as Maniac and anti-venom i guess flash thompson and and spider-man and they're we're finally getting that kind of brawl that the previous issue teased where they kind of off panel made black cat into a a, i guess a a a controlled character in maniac's uh crew 
what did you think of this whole, I guess, I wouldn't say it's a subplot. This seems to be like the main plot. What, that with Black Hat you're saying? Yeah, or? Well, what, what did you think of, of this? I mean, I, 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 maybe I can just say it for you. That, like, it's such a minor update on that story to spend a whole issue on. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like we were just kind of jogging in place here. I mean, like, I, I am wondering here, and and then also kind of with the Amazing Spider-Man issue that followed this one, which we'll talk about separately, but, you know, it, it does seem like we're finally starting to kind of move away from the Black Hat as a true villain idea again. I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Would that do anything for you with the character if they kind of moved her back into, like, that tweener territory? I would be all for it. I actually think this uh, interpretation of the character seems the most right. Like she is just kind of taking advantage of everyone. Uh, Mm. I'm not really sure how to interpret her actions when she's under the symbiote's control where she kisses Flash Thompson and gets the Venom symbiote melted off of her. It seems fairly inconsistent whether or not people can fight off this thing that's controlling them. Um, right. Maybe you could, you know, chalk it up to her bad luck powers that she somehow can will her way out of it if if you really want to. The yeah. the Deus Ex Black Cat powers. Yeah, um, always a no prize with Black Cat. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, I I thought her characterization seemed like actually fairly accurate for the character. Um I she's been in a million books right now where she's the villain and operating as a gang lord. It's like literally every Spider-Man title and a Defenders title, everything Bendis is writing has the black cat in it. They just really love this. So I don't necessarily see this as Marvel moving away from that, but with Bendis leaving and Dan Slott like moving off of ASM, uh, we suspect uh perhaps black cat is going to find her way back to more middle ground territory i mean to me the character always works best is kind of the 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 temptress that you know is not good for you but you kind of slide back to every once in a while anyway i mean i don't know like that's how the character was introduced and yeah i know change is good but I don't know. <laughs> like, it just kind of seems to fit with the character. Crime Lord never really seemed to fit with the character. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think with maybe the changing editorial slash creative tide, we might be starting to, and maybe we're, we're, we're setting the toys up in that fashion so that a future creator can move in that direction. Or maybe someone will come on and just continue what we've been seeing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is interesting to see like kind of the, the flash black hat history being brought up. Although again, kind of going back to what I was saying about Eddie Brock before, I mean, this is a storyline, the, the, the fact that flash and Felicia Hardy had dated for a while that, I mean, you know, hasn't had much lip service since the nineties, the early nineties. I think that was like Eric Larson, David Michelinie era Spider-Man. Um, and you know, outside of, again, just kind of stating it, oh, we, you know, there's a history here. You know, you, there's no actual chemistry being established in this book that would kind of be like, oh, isn't that fun? But I guess we're getting it. So is that worth something to you? <laughs> it's worth a little bit to me in that, like, these aren't just faceless characters. You right. Know, like, I mean, I, I, comparing this book to. Um, you know, like the last couple issues, I thought Flash actually sounded a bit more like Flash 
in in this book for for what it's worth you know even if it's the most basic thing like having him make a bunch of football references while he's attacking people at least i i could differentiate oh that's flash under that costume it's not just a dude in a venom suit punching someone you, you, you know what i mean it, yeah. it, it's the littlest thing but but it, it you know it's better than nothing yeah it, it definitely felt less rigid i mean that 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 last issue of amazing spider-man with the Flash and Spider-Man stuff, it just felt like these were two characters who had never actually been in the same room together, and it just kind of threw me. So it is nice to see that at least there's a little bit of acknowledgement. Although, again, it's like, you know, when Marvel references its history, I'm not, I'm not saying to ignore its history. I actually think it's good to acknowledge the history, but, like, I don't know. I, 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 I wish that that... <laughs> more stakes were attached for lack of a better word. I keep coming back to that. It's, 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 you know, yes, flash and Felicia used to date, but what does that actually mean? I mean, you know, outside of just checking your Marvel chronology, what does that actually mean? And why is that significant for the story? I don't think we ever actually get to that core, but Mark, the writers have to establish that they have internet connectivity and can go to the Marvel wiki page. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. you said uh, change can sometimes be good and, and often is good. Uh, one change I really didn't like in this issue, and there's a lot of great costume changes in this issue. Like, I love the change to Maniac's costume, finally giving him a costume where he's got this mm-hmm. kind of like man dress or whatever you want to <laughs> call it. Um, I thought that was really cool looking, but for some reason, Gerardo Sandoval has decided to move Black Cat's eyes from her sh- like design and her costume from her shoulder down to her breasts. Uh, I, mean, I guess you could alter the phrase like "my eyes are up here" and and yeah. and just relegate you know that to you know oh yes you're looking at both my eyes and my breasts, but a very strange costume change. You're making that sound like it's a bad thing, Dan. Yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> oh, boy, Mark. Um, oh, boy. Exactly. Other things I liked, you know, um, the kind of vertical layout slices that felt very uh, McFarland to me. You know, he really loved doing those, breaking up the page into all those slices. And, uh, you know, if, if we've been praising Ryan Stegman, like, you know, for doing – McFarlane things I kind of wanted to shout out to Gerardo for doing the same yeah definitely I, I, I'm getting the sense that if it comes between art and story here that you're you're, you're, you're on team art right absolutely I, I, I think I mean I think I've kind of given up on the story to be honest yeah, which is yeah. so uninteresting to me um, yeah. but like this art was really fun like the scorpion actually looked you know, kind of terrifying with Venom attached to him in this book and the way the tendrils were, you know, wrapping around things. And I felt, okay, if we're going to do like a really dumb slugfest arc, at least make it look good. That Like that's the 90s in a bubble. You know, it's mm-hmm. a dumb writing, but really punchy art. So, okay, you know what? If we're going to do that, I'm going to take what I can get from the art. All right. Do you want to give this thing a grade or uh, is, it, sure. is, it, is it an incomplete or uh, pass fail? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, to, to me, it's like a – I don't know. Gosh, this is tough because there's almost no story here. But I do like <laughs> that art. Maybe like a C minus. I don't know. 
What about yeah. you? Yeah. I I mean, I gave the last issue a D plus. I think I'm going to give this one a D plus cuz you know, yeah, I agree with you about the art, but I'm always more of a story guy than you are and 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 this story still isn't doing anything for me. Although I don't want to completely dismiss it because I guess there's something for somebody here. It's just not me. Yeah. Uh, well, we've been hearing from people that are really digging this story. So, I mean, if you're liking it, you know, great, great on you. I wish I was. Yeah, exactly. Although don't, I don't necessarily need to like, not that you shouldn't defend yourselves or, or, or justify your opinion, but, you know, I definitely been getting a sense of, well, I just like it because it's, you know, what I'm, what I like. And I'm like, all right, well, I feel the same way except the opposite. And, I don't know if this is a helpful conversation to be having on social media. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're always open to hearing from you. But yeah, yeah, come out with us. If you have a disagreement with our opinions, like we love to know what those are, not just you're wrong. Is, right. is that what you're saying? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, great. Let's keep this thing rolling, Dan. There are a lot of parts of this Venom Inc. story. I forgot how long it was. <laughs> yeah, Mark, I, I suspect this is probably going to be our longest episode ever. So, so cutting right to it, let's get right into Amazing Spider-Man number 793. Amazing Spider-Man number 793. I believe this is part four, if I'm not losing count. <laughs> Of the Venom Inc. arc, um, this is following on the heels of Venom number 159. Dan, I guess from an artistic standpoint, we we kind of thought the last Venom Inc. issue was a step in the right direction, albeit the story kind of stayed in place. This Spider-Man issue, I think the most striking thing um, beyond the very creepy Alex Ross cover is the fact that kind of mirroring that Alex Ross cover is the fact that Spider-Man shows up under mind control in this issue, like on the very first few pages. Um, we didn't actually see this happen in a story, though, did we, Dan? No, not at all. Which, to me, like, I guess it's a choice, right? And you can either yes. you can either get on board with that choice or not. And I don't think it's, like, too distracting that you can just kind of get on it. You know, you're in media res, you're, you're finding things out, and that's kind of fun. I don't think it's really played terribly well if, if it was intended to be like mysterious or something like why is he like this all of a sudden although you can very easily make the connection for why he's like this but I, I would have loved to have seen a scene where he's being you know taken over by this thing and he's fighting against it or something you know at least so I can get on board with oh Spider-Man didn't really want this to happen Right. Uh, is, is is that too crazy of a thing to want, or should I just kind of be like, well, duh, I know what happened. It's time to just move on. I mean, there's there, <clears throat> there is some element of truth to the fact that, like, we kind of just assume at this point that um, if Spider-Man gets taken over by the symbiote, this is what happens. But I mean, I do think it would be nice to to kind of see some exposition for that. I mean, the fact of the matter is, Dan, in the text of this book, we we actually kind of get the sense that. Spider-Man wasn't much of a fight for this, which is kind of disappointing to me because he is a character that, you know, albeit has his flaws, but one thing that he always seems to have 
uh, true to his center is his willpower and his desire to kind of do right and, and to overcome the odds. And uh, for the most part, it sounds like Flash is the one who is has to kind of get put through the ringer here to to make for for the villains to kind of get their way. Um, whereas Spider-Man just kind of, you know, got a mask and became a bad guy and made bad jokes about tooting a, a truck horn. Um, (laughs) which is just, I mean, you know, again, I mean, not to nitpick here, but it, it, you know, if we're going to like have bad Spider-Man, I feel like you still need to kind of be aware of who Spider-Man is and then kind of like put a dark mirror to that. And there are parts of this story that I think did that most notably towards the end where Spider-Man and Flash are fighting and he kind of dismisses flash as a dumb jock and even flash kind of comes back at the real spider-man wouldn't say that like i feel that does kind of get into the heart of who dark spider-man is like where maybe there is an element of truth to it it's just twisted like you know at some point in his life peter did think that flash was just a dumb jock wouldn't you say yeah absolutely i hadn't thought of it that way but you're right that's a an interesting observation and and a good beat for the character but but for the most part, this character here is just kind of making obnoxious jokes and being kind of insipid and and no depth whatsoever. And and to me, that's disappointing. Like if we're gonna get dark dark mirror Spider Man, then like let's let's get our money's worth. And this was hardly that. Did you think that Spider Man honking the uh, truck horn several times was a Trump call out? I guess, but you know, like. Can we do better than that? <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, if we're gonna you're right, you're if right. we're gonna if we're gonna use our, our 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 Trump joke capital, can we do better than that? I mean, but even like the scene in the bugle, like nothing nothing really packed a punch. It was just it was just kind of like creepy, obnoxious Spider Man three, Raimi Spider Man three, Spider Man, and I, I I like we Spider Man three is the worst of the Spider Man Dan. So why would we want to have that in comic book form? And we've also kind of gotten this evil Spider-Man thing a bunch recently. I mean, okay, yes, we Superior was a number of years ago, but even then, we, Superior Venom was basically like this kind of story. And those were interesting because we got an internal monologue from Spider-Man. And I think this issue for me was kind of the point where I realized very clearly this is not a Spider-Man story because a Spider-Man story would feature – Peter Parker's monologue as he's being made to do these things outside of his power and he's fighting it or discussing how like terrible he feels about the actions he's made to take here but we get none of that. He almost seems gleefully ready to roll over and be a Venom lackey and uh, I just didn't really find that fun to read especially if I'm a Spider-Man fan because you would expect, like you said earlier, his willpower. You expect a lot more out of him. At the very least, I expect an internal monologue that's discussing how bad he feels. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were things that he was doing in this issue that, you know, I mean, he was ready to kill Flash in this issue, you know, and that's like kind of like you would think that you would get that kind of reflection. And, and even when he like kind of turns at the end, it's, it's more about him being humiliated by, you know, under the heel of the black cat, which kind of had some odd connotations to it. Um, but not about what he did as venom. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like our ongoing complaint about the transition from superior back to 
Peter and amazing again and never getting that reflection kind of turned up to 11 because this is just all in the confines of one issue of which we never actually saw the transition in the first place. Whereas, you know, at least with superior, we got to kind of see the arc of that transition. Um, this is just kind of, we're there, we're in a, we're in a situation and there really isn't a satisfactory arc to it. Uh, at least from my perspective. Yeah, no, I agree. And, 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 and it's also really inconsistent. You know, we've got Spider-Man who kind of seems at the beck and call of maniac, and maybe there was something to be said about why he's extra susceptible to this. That could be interesting, but there's nothing said about that. But meanwhile, like last issue, we had Black Cat who could kind of fight back against this thing. And in this issue, we've got this random goon who seems to be able to kind of push his way free of Maniac's control, if only for a moment. Like, are we ready to believe that these two characters are of more strength than Spider-Man does? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say no, Dan, but I guess we're supposed to believe that. I, I... <laughs> or it's just inconsistent writing, and I'm much more keen to chalk it up on, oh, it's just inconsistent writing than it is anything else. Right. But, you know, I mean, and, and to that point, too, I mean, you had mentioned this a little earlier. I mean, like, you know, again, like, I guess this issue spent more time with Spider-Man than the other ones have. But again, it's like there is just no sense of anything having to do with this status quo right now. I mean, like, you know, even the fact that Spider-Man kind of shows up in the bugle and with Robbie and, and Betty Brandt. And there's just like no sense of like the new dynamic change within the bugle with Peter working the science department and all that. Like, it's just... It's just so disappointing. This really does feel like an inventory story, for lack of a better definition of it, that's now being put forward as part of like this major crossover event. Like, like this, this story could have been written at any point in any time. I, I will say I did like the bit with Robbie where he immediately says, like, this isn't you, Spider-Man. You're under control. You know, like he immediately susses out that, no, this isn't really Spider-Man doing this. I agree with you largely, but I thought that that was a nice little beat. I guess. But like to me, that's almost just kind of like we're we're kind of through the story and through Robbie kind of excusing everything that's going to happen because it's like, oh, well, we've been here before. It's not you. You're, you know, it's kind of excusing spider-man's bad behavior and thus taking the consequences away from it i actually kind of had the exact opposite reaction i didn't i didn't appreciate the nod like that we're all kind of learning from this i mean i i get why you're kind of like this happens to him so many times why why would we be treating this like it's a true horror show but the same token then if if this is the well we keep going back to and we're basically even saying the people closest to spider-man in his personal life are just kind of like oh whatever it's not you then what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> you know what, yeah, I mean? that, that what, just, what are the consequences then? <laughs> that that's a solid uh, that's a solid response. Um, it's like the, the, like the, let's not go to that well anymore. <laughs> let's find another <laughs> way to have this story. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, you know, and it also speaks to like it's in just another complication in the story that didn't really need more complications. And to me, the like clearest distillation of why this story isn't working is there's a moment where like, you know, mania, she comes back 
for all the like excitement about Mania returning that people might be having, which for me is zero. Um, right. <laughs> um, I mean, it, uh, Dan, just just so I could say plainly, my my notes here say she's a D-list character from a D-list book from five or six years ago. There you go. <laughs> I, I I mean, am I am I wrong? Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think you are at all. <laughs> I, I, you know, like, and she and she's she contains in her like a demon that is also from a D list book. It, it yes. is a bizarre combo, but anyway, she's back and she's able to save flash who is like burning up in flames and somehow like gets cocoon- cocooned in like some hard outer shell and she's able to save him. And then we get like a page of pure exposition about why all these dynamics were able to occur to make this event occur. And then the characters literally say on the page, that's the most complicated thing I've, I've ever, uh, I've ever said, you know, heard of, you know, like, uh, you know, it just gets more and more complicated when the characters themselves are addressing how needlessly complicated something is, you know, you're doing something wrong. It's problematic. And, and, and to that point, like the whole thing with the you know flash in the in the flame box or whatever you want to call it, I mean, you know, I mean, I I keep I feel like a broken record when it comes to Ryan Stegman's art during this this storyline, but because you know I love Ryan's art and I feel like he does good work, but like I don't know, did you get a sense that this was just like this flame? flamey fiery hell for venom for anti-venom for for flash during those scenes it just didn't it didn't punch right who's got like random flame machines lying around are they just a common thing uh you know like i understand the ugnots in the star wars universe wanting to burn up c-3po but like who's got these open flames on moving conveyor belts all over the place I don't know, but all I know is if you're going to go there, then like I, I, I think like the art needs to be kind of ridiculous, and it wasn't. It was very, to me, like kind of conservative in terms of what it should have been, and I feel like that's kind of the consistent problem for Stegman throughout this entire arc is that you know we have these sequences where there should be like some, in my opinion, utterly ridiculous visuals, whether it be you know these like weird kind of jokey villains getting taken over by venom and what that means and i feel like every time it, we just kind of deliver something that's like very traditional for lack of a better phrase like like be weird be be totally weird you know and it, it's not weird at all <laughs> i don't think it's his work on this series is anywhere near the level of work he was doing in renew your vows back when he was on that book even the venom issues of that book were like willing to get weird and and exciting, and so I I just wonder if he's just not being given good good material. You know, maybe maybe someone like Jerry Conway was able to kind of serve him up more interesting ideas or allow him more freedom. But here he's got to convey so much unnecessary plotting and characters discussing exposition that it just hasn't freed him up in the way that that book seemed, seemed to do. Um, but you're right. The, the artwork has not really done much for me here. And I should love 
every page of this. I've been dying for more Ryan Stegman. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't want to be complaining so much because I would love to see Ryan on a Spider-Man book on on the regular because I think he he has an appreciation for the character and he loves the character. But like, you know, th- this 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 book, not that it could be completely saved by off the wall art, but I do think it would be elevated by off the wall art, and we're just not getting it. We're getting like a like you know again, go back to the same phrase I was saying that a traditional kind of artwork for a story that is anything but traditional. I mean, like, yeah, I'm not loving this story, but maybe if like we had some art that just embraced the weird in it, it would kind of elevate it, and we're not we're not getting that, and that's well, disappointing. Uh, Venom 159, which we just talked about, to me was a was a step above. It was. Slightly weirder, and yeah. and and I appreciated that. I, mean, I don't think it goes far enough. I I think a lot about that Venom one fifty issue. Did you read that one? Yeah, I thought the art in that was super weird and really exciting, and I would love to see that artist returning for something like this. Yeah, absolutely. Now now, now meanwhile, the the kind of big epic drama that we're setting up in this issue is Lee Price trying to take over the five families. Dan, who are the five families? Mark, I have no idea. Like, Other than I a mean, couple this, is, this is a legitimate question. I mean, if we should be, if we're supposed to be such Marvel maniacs that we should know, for <laughs> no pun intended, that we should know who the five families are, then, okay, spare us. But if, if this is not something that is common knowledge, which I don't know. I read a lot of Marvel, Dan, and I know a lot of Marvel history, and I'm not that familiar. So could we could we have done any work to establish what the big freaking deal is with these characters? I'm wondering if they're like a Bendisverse thing that I'm just not like caught up on from like the pages of Defenders or something. Uh, the, between all the Black Cat and Kingpin as mayor stuff, I like I really don't have a solid grasp on what is going on in the Marvel gang world territory. Um, I don't know if we're supposed to know the five families, but this book gave them maybe two mentions, and suddenly we're supposed to be terrified of the prospect that the five families are taken over by Lee Price. And and I like this idea. Like, I think it's cool to kind of combine the classic gang war Spider-Man stories with a Venom story. That's a cool idea. We just shouldn't be getting to that in the fourth issue of a six-issue arc with no idea who these gangs are. Yeah. I don't know. When I think of the gangs of Marvel, I think of, like, obviously the Kingpin and, like, the Magia family. And now we have like Mr. Negative and his crew, and and I mean I don't even know who to, where Tombstone's allegiances lie, but that doesn't seem to be what we're actually talking about here. It's just like it seems to be kind of ambiguous goons in suits and yeah. fedoras. <laughs> it, it it all amounts to like a like a shrug, and so what at the end? You know, it's meant to be this big cliffhanger, and I'm like, okay. These guys were invented from nowhere, apparently. And after the story is done, they'll probably just disappear into nothingness again. So why should I care? Because if they can be invented out of nowhere, who's to say they'll hang around long in any kind of like consequential way? Now, meanwhile, 
the the role of the black cat seems to be growing in this story in terms of more of a tweener thing. Any any reactions to that? Well, I liked the fight between Spider-Man and Flash up on the rooftop. I thought, like, if, if any part of it was exciting visually, that was. I loved how he, you know, he pulls the letter U down on top of Flash, and then we get a boom that literally looks like it's spelled out with the Daily Bugle letters from the top of the building. I thought that mm-hmm. was a clever, clever thing, and um, I thought the black. Cat was kind of flashy here, although I don't really get why she saves Spider-Man and then stops other people from killing him. Like, that seems to be her M.O. just like a year ago, right, was to kill Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we we are definitely returning to this dynamic of what she was. But like you said when we were talking about this in our last Patreon episode with the Venom issue – I'm I'm under no under I mean this just about where how this character is being used elsewhere and in other books like there doesn't really seem to be any true desire to move this character back into her old status um so I I, I mean I don't know it, 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 for people who are into their fan fiction I don't know if I would be like reigniting my Spider-Man Felicia stories yet you know <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't really understand this point. Maybe it's the whole like we're better working together than against each other kind of thing, against overwhelming odds. But I don't really feel the weight of those odds, so I don't really care or or know why she would make a, a an action that's countered to what we've come to understand about this newly redone Felicia. So I don't know. It's just a lot of weird character stuff going on for no real reason. You know, yeah, and, and 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 you know, not to be kind of glib about it, but maybe if they hadn't, if they being Marvel hadn't gone so far out of their way over the last couple of years into making me not like this character anymore, her kind of pseudo redemption would mean more to me. But it, it doesn't. Instead, it's just kind of like, all right, so what are you going to do? That's going to piss me off about this character next. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have to say though, I love the visual of Venom decked like decked out in guns and like and bullet belts. I was like, all right, that's a cool visual, very nineties. Uh, I don't really yeah, know where it's gonna it, go to, but yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was very overindulgent, and that and you know we were talking earlier about kind of going to weird places. That certainly went there. Uh, I, I mean, again to what we were talking about during our Venom 159 discussion, you know, Eddie, Eddie seems very extraneous here in this story. I mean, just as Spider-Man is, frankly, it's kind of like, you know, he's like, Oh, I want to exact, you know, I I need to get my shots in on Spider-Man, but he never really does. And, you know, it's all kind of brushed aside to kind of create this weird, you know, team Spidey versus team price thing. And, and I guess this is where the maximum carnage comparisons come in, Dan. And I have a rant kind of saved up for that. I don't know if uh, you want to kind of opine on that first before I unload, but you know, what do, what do you think about these kind of ragtag teams that are being assembled here? Well, it kind of goes into your maximum carnage thing. So we can kind of get into it. And maybe I'll set you up for it is that, these teams have been assembled, but I don't really know what this story is about. Like, there's no 
like emotional hook to this other than like they need to defeat the bad guy who is just the bad guy. He wants power. There's nothing really interesting about that. It's just kind of a very standard story that's being stretched over six issues where I feel like, you know, at the very least, and I don't like Maximum Carnage very much, but at the very least that had like a moral question at the heart of it. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. This thing is even even less than that. Mark, I am allowing you to rant now. Go for it. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me bust out my soapbox here. Okay, I'm perched. Um, yeah, Dan, I mean, like, the, the, the whole Maximum Carnage comparison is something that's been brought up a, a few times, you know, certainly to me on social media. I, I You are usually tagged in these conversations since we are one in the same, I, I think. <laughs> um, I, I mean, occasionally someone will talk to you separate from me, I guess vice versa. But, um, you know, Maximum Carnage, like you, I am not much of a fan of the original Maximum Carnage series, but like I, I, I do think it's kind of a bit of both a stretch and an insult to compare what we have here going on in Venom Inc. to Maximum Carnage outside of the fact that it's a bunch of characters versus a bunch of other characters and symbiotes are involved because that's that's really where the comparisons end in my opinion because, yeah, I mean Maximum Carnage first of all, Maximum Carnage starred characters that for better or for worse, at that time, were all significant, important characters that people cared about. People cared about Venom, Eddie Brock Venom. They cared about Carnage. They cared, you know, like the, these were, I mean, these characters were phenoms. They were the most popular characters Marvel had to offer that weren't X-Men. So Lee, Lee Price is not that. This iteration of Eddie Brock is Venom is not that. Black Cat is not that. Like, like, so let's just kind of put that to bed right there. These these the, the stakes are not even remotely as high that people would, you know, get that invested in the story the way they did with Maximum Carnage, and and then to kind of beyond that, like you said, there's no emotional hook to this story. I mean, Maximum Carnage, for all of its kind of vapidness and and. 90s overindulgences it did have a moral center which was you know kind of spider-man having to choose between doing the right thing and finding carnage but also kind of fighting his instincts and siding with venom and and whose whose way was the better way to take out carnage when someone when a villain is so heartless and moralist that you know the standard Spider-Man ways maybe were not as effective or completely ineffective. Is it better to kind of do what your enemy does because your enemy is fighting the other enemy, or is there a better way? And there's no better way being explored here. There's no moral whatsoever. I mean, you know, Spider-Man went through this entire issue doing bad things, and it all kind of got brushed aside as, well, you know, mind control again. Haha. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> there's no consequences for anything that he did. He's not even feeling remorse for what he did. So I, I really wish we would just stop with the maximum carnage comparisons. I mean, look, if you want to like the story and if you're into the story, that's great. Just, just like it. It's fine. But to kind of like come at it like, Oh, well, you know, it kind of reminds me of this thing from the nineties where, you know, this story that was kind of a big deal, regardless of Dan, like you said, whether we liked it, it is considered a, an important part of Spider-Man history. It's not that. This is the story, like, again, 
I think I said this in the Venom issue. Like this, this feels like an inventory story. This seems like something that Marvel had saved up. Like, oh, we should do a Spider-Man Venom crossover, and then it got into this whole legacy thing. And then it was like, well, we can't do it right at legacy. Maybe we'll do it right after legacy starts to kind of keep it going. It, it, it just feels rudderless. Like they just like had this thing saved up, and oh, we're gonna plop it in now. But but other, but other than that, there are no drivers or stakes to it. Off my soapbox. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it, and I agree largely with what you said. And <laughs> I'm not as disturbed by people making the comparison. I have no fondness for Maximum Carnage. So, like, go ahead and tarnish <laughs> Maximum Carnage all you want. It was listed in the top ten Marvel stories of all time completely undeservedly. So, uh, you know what? Like, it's time to bring it down a little bit. But you're right. There is no – there's no emotional center to this story. It's not about anything. It's not a story about anything other than people trading costumes to the best that I can understand. It's not about anything and I, and I, and I think the point can't be missed that it, it, it doesn't star anyone outside of Spider-Man that anyone cares about right now. Right? Yeah. I, I mean like, who cares about any of these characters? Lee Price is not what Carnage was in 1993. <laughs> yeah. And it's a missed opportunity because you could you could go a lot smaller with this story um, or make it really character oriented and you could have built up the cloud of these characters. You know, like uh, I almost think the Lee Price here is like – well, he's essentially a faceless villain – because he's wearing that mask, but uh, like when he first appeared in Venom, I thought, "Oh, what an interesting character! Like this could really become, you know, an interesting character to follow." And here he's just any other bad guy, and it's really disappointing, you know. Like uh, I want to believe in Maniac; he could be a cool character. I just I get no sense of what's special about him at all. So, ah, uh, well, I, I'm also too busy caught up in. Can the Venom suit spit on other people and do mind – like when when is mind control ever been a Venom thing? Um, so – and someone's going to write to us and say, well, technically the Venom suit used to parade Peter Parker around town. Uh, but that's a very different scenario. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah. Agreed. Uh, oh, well. Well, so boxes aside, you want to give this thing a grade? I'm going to give it a D. I'm now lowering it. I went from you know D plus the last few issues. We're now down to D. We're we're we're, we're tap dancing close to F, Dan. Oh my goodness! Uh, I, I'm giving this one a D plus. I'm not liking it either, but but I am hopeful. I don't care about the five families, but I do think a gang war with Venom symbiotes is more interesting than what we've been getting before. Yeah, to a point. I, I mean, you know, to me, this this story is just kind of headed in a really kind of inglorious direction. I mean, you know, I know we've had issues with stories in recent years like Spider-Verse and certain things with Volume 3 and Parker Industries. But like to me, at least like, you know, those stories, our frustration with them were more about disappointment. Like, oh, this should have been this should have been better because I care about these circumstances. I care about these stakes. I care about these characters. It's just not being executed in a fashion where I find it to be satisfactory. The problem here with Venom Inc. Dan, for me at least, is that I just don't care. It's a place of complete apathy for me. Nothing has been done to make me care. 
So thus, I can't be disappointed, but at the same token, I feel like this is a useless exercise in trying to go through this story. I, I You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we will because we're dedicated to our Patreon <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> but, 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 you know, like, I mean, let me be clear here. I, I, I just don't get what I should be getting out of this story. I, I, you know, and like I said at the end of our Venom episode, Dan, if if you have some opinions on it that aren't just you're wrong, shut up. Please, please enlighten me. Please explain what am I what what is the magic that I'm missing? And and you know to that point, you know you're right. I I I'm not necessarily offended that people are can, are comparing it to Maximum Carnage, but I guess where I'm coming from are the people who are saying you know in in the same vein as you're wrong, shut up. Like well, it's like Maximum Carnage, and I like that, and I know you don't like that, Mark. So that's why you don't like it. And I'm like no, it's not Maxim Carnage, if that's how you're going to argue it with me. Like, like, please point out what is the merits of this story, and I'll hear you out. <laughs> Listeners, you have pushed Mark to defend Maximum Carnage. What have there you, you done? <laughs> oh it is, it is uh, dogs are with cats, Dan, and the world is is ending. There's no other way. It's like, this is where we're at. Well, Mark, we'll always have each other. Exactly. <laughs> oh, boy, Dan. I think this, this story has as many issues as the Spidey universe has symbiotes, right? Mark, I don't think anything can match how many symbiotes there are. I feel like every new issue, there's another new symbiote. Well, at the very least, it has as many issues as the symbiotes have randomly created new powers. That I'll give you. But let's move on to our review of Venom 160. Mark, I'm excited to talk about Venom Inc. Part 5. That's Venom number 160. Here we go. We're talking about this today. Mark, we've kind of been bagging on this series, both, I guess, uh, creatively in terms of the writing and kind of the art. Like, we think it's okay. It's not really elevating the script. What did you think about this penultimate issue? I mean, it's definitely an improvement over the previous four installments, but... I mean, I'm not exactly giving it a ringing endorsement here. I mean, I still think the general story is a mess uh, involving a lot of characters I don't really care about, primarily the antagonist, Lee Price, who's supposed to kind of be like this really huge threat that brings all these characters together a la what Carnage did in Maximum Carnage back in the day, but uh, is nowhere, at least from my standpoint, nowhere near the threat level of a Carnage. He's just kind of a dude with a really f- weird designed costume. But the art was definitely a little bit better here. I mean, I, you know, you and I have been talking about this from the get-go. I mean, we love Ryan Stegman. Stegman is a great artist, friend of the show here. Um, but, you know, this is something about his art the last few issues um, that wasn't really elevating. Here we have who's doing the the pencils in this one, Dan? It's um, it's Gerardo Sandoval. Gerardo Sandoval. Um, not really familiar with 
some of the other work he's done, but I don't know. It just just seemed overall a little cleaner, a little more dynamic, maybe looking for less 90s, uh, 90s-fied flash and just instead, you know, just trying to elevate the story with the art the best way that 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 he can. And I think it kind of works on that level. But this story is just still a sloppy mess, as is the general writing and dialogue. I mean, and this one is a sole credit to Mike Costa, Dan, but I mean – I don't know. This this reads like a totally different Mike Costa than the one who wrote, who's been writing Venom for the last few months. Who even wrote Lee Price for the first few months. Like, I, like the 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 voice of this entire story has just befuddled me. Well, I, I've gotten a feeling that Mike Costa has a difficulty writing Eddie Brock's Venom, and that's kind of meant to be kind of the heart of this story. And I just have not connected with it. I liked his Lee Price, but. Like, you bring back Venom, and the first story you do is a Stegron the Dinosaur Man story. I I have a hard time really praising someone who that's their go-to the minute they bring Venom back. Maybe it was just stalling for time, but that's not a great way to really instill faith in me. It reminds me of the... uh, the silk story that concluded by going to the negative zone to find and doing Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, like what you you have limitless possibilities, a big question mark, and you this is the best thing you could come up with. Uh, yeah, I mean the best you could say about the writing in this book is it just is kind of unnoticeable. It just is writing, you know. And there we go. The story happened. The pieces moved from A to Z. Ta-da. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's very formulaic, Dan. Um, and there's just no crackle or pop in any of the dialogue. It's, it's, it's very wooden and stilted. You know, I will do this and you will do that. And, and you know... I will kill you if you do that. I mean, it's just it's lacking any any oomph in life. I mean, I hate to sound like a like a high school English teacher here giving critiques, but you know what I mean? Like there's just it's it's really lacking and you know, maybe if it was a little more overzealous if it had the touch of uh of a Roger Stern or a Tom DeFalco, it might uh, you know, elevate an otherwise dull story, but since it's not, and it's just kind of this wooden writing with this wooden concept, um, it drags the whole thing down with it. Um, it feels like video game writing. Like, yes. you beat all the sub-bosses, time to fight the big boss. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like you said, this this book, I mean, it is Venom, so it would make sense that this is more of an Eddie issue or an Eddie Lee issue than um, Spider-Man. But like, you know, you, you kind of kick this thing off with Spider-Man um, trying to hide out as if he's still under the possession of, of mania or maniac, whatever we're calling it. And he just kind of stupidly and quickly blows his cover right away just to kind of escalate to the all right everybody on my team versus everybody on your team i mean it, like you said it's like we're literally just checking things off like like we're going through mini bosses and 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 you know 
puzzle unlocks to get to the big boss. I mean, you know, like actually, you know, I'm probably giving it more credit to make it sound like there's a puzzle to be unlocked. It's just mini boss after mini boss fight and then a big boss fight. (laughs) Well, you mentioned Spider-Man Undercover. I thought there was a lot of opportunity there to have fun with that. You know, like we know now that Spider-Man is faking this. At least we suspect because he still has the black stuff on his mask. Like maybe something else happened between the books. But anyway, there's right. a real opportunity. We did have something happen off panel in the last one. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but like there's that whole like Hitchcock thing. We know the bomb is under the table. Like that could be fun to see him trying to weave his way as Lee Price's right-hand man and allow Lee's – you know, ego to get the best of him because he overlooks this obvious, you know, infiltrator in his midst. That would be really fun. Right. And and it's not. And, and again, the way <laughs> Spider-Man blows his cover, it's like very unclever and un-Spider-Man-ish. I mean, like, you know, you would have expected, I mean, you know, Go back to Goblin Nation of all stories where, you know, how did we know – how did the Green Goblin know that Spider-Man was Spider-Man? He made the joke about the man purse and it was kind of like, it's you, you know? Like this, it's just like Price is going over his like mustache twirling devious plot and Spider-Man's just like, oh yeah, sure, use me as a shield for five seconds. And it's like, Huh? Who is this character? <laughs> like, <laughs> like nothing snarky or clever or or impulsive about anything here. Just a stupid off the cuff remark that, and then it's he's no longer under my influence. It's all over. It's like, oh god. <laughs> there is kind of one clever bit that I liked with Hammerhead, where Spider Man frees him and is like, "Great, now we can work together." And Hammerhead just, like, runs right into him. It's kind of a dumb thing for Spider-Man to fall for or expect from a long-term enemy like Hammerhead. But at least they didn't have Hammerhead suddenly be like, oh, yeah, I'm a good guy now. Right. Un- un- unlike Felicia. But, you know, we can we can get to that later. More so in Omega. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just... I mean, we're talking about like one character versus, uh, you know, in the context of all this. But I mean, it's these these are issues throughout. And I agree. I thought the hammerhead scene was nice. And yeah, I mean, the the the, the fighting in this issue, although kind of played out, was at least a little more visually interesting. I mean, there was more going on. I mean, you got to see hammerhead be hammerhead. I mean, this was something that I feel was lacking in these earlier issues, where you had these kind of quirky. Uh, distinct characters and yet they did nothing quirky or distinct in it (laughs) so it's it's an improvement in that regard but um you know we we really just spent an entire issue with a melee that had no depth or 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 real joy in it right yeah i mean it's it's just there's not really consequences of it. By the end of the book, everybody is freed from the goop, and they kind of all exit stage left. Like, we're not really going to see them again. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're totally just setting up one last big bad boss fight between 
a, like a super venom with machine guns on his arms, which, you know, when we talk about Omega in our next Patreon episode, we'll have some commentary on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of that like Weapon H design they came out with earlier in the year where it was like Hulk with Wolverine claws. They're just right. like, oh, it'll be Venom, but he's got guns coming out of everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a very overindulgent '90s style design, um, which you almost have to kind of tip your hat to the charms of it. Um, I kind of liked it. I'm gonna be yeah. honest. Yeah, well, because it's unapologetically ridiculous, which I think is something that this story kind of is not a lot of times it's just ridiculous without being apologetic or unapologetic it's just kind of <laughs> whereas this was like look we're just gonna go for broke here and be absurd and we know it but hey you know it's a it's a story that's clearly inspired by the venom symbiote stories of the 90s so let's just go with it so you're right in that regard i can forgive it um that's what i kind of like about this issue apart from all the other issues in this series or in this short story is that the visuals go for broke like every panel is over exaggerated big muscles tendrils explosions bullet holes characters posing big splash pages Fires raging, guns blasting. Are there pouches, Dan? And there are pouches, too. I mean, you know, you can't have a 90s-style comic without pouches. But uh, I'm going to be honest. Like, I had a real blast reading this, even if I think the story is dumb. Because yeah. the art just, like, goes for it in a way that, you know, most artists rarely do. Like, I'm looking through this right now, and, like... The page with like venom breaking through the roof with gun canisters and guns and black cats strapped across him like some heavy metal babe. You know, if you're gonna do this, Sandoval knows exactly what he's doing. And okay, great. I would love to buy some of these pages, some of this artwork. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm quite as high on the art as you are. I mean, I like I said, I, I appreciate that in certain instances it, it it just went for it and and had a little flair and fun to it. it was didn't play it too safe um like i felt the other issues did i think in in at least being consistent in that way it 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 gave it a more cleaner look i don't know if that makes sense to you but like i feel like i don't know i feel like a lot of the stegman issues he was just kind of struggling to kind of put forward what he wanted to put forward like he was i don't know maybe just caught up in the in the moment of i mean we know that ryan is a huge mcfarlane guy huge kind of 90s art inspired person so maybe in trying to kind of live up to that or his his standards of what that should look like he just got too conservative with it and it kind of made his art a little sloppy i think it wasn't you know it, it wasn't as chiseled and refined it, it, it was you know weird <laughs> yeah well i mean i will venture a uh, statement here and you can tell me if you think i'm wrong but i suspect that most people like the venom style of artwork 
from everybody that came after McFarlane more than McFarlane. He kind of established the character, but I think people tend to like the more tongue or no tongue. People like the more unrestrained Venom visuals. I think that's the fun of the visual is the tendrils and all the wildness you can get from how that costume would be on someone's body. And McFarland's is really kind of like an inverted Spider-Man, a, a, you know, what we'd say the, the evil bully character with spider powers. Yes. Um, and I think you can see that reflected in the artwork, you know, uh, Stegman stuff tends to be a bit more McFarland inspired. It's more reserved, uh, which is a crazy thing to say because at one point Stegman was like the wild man artist on the book. Um, but compared to Gerardo Sandoval, whose stuff is just like madness, heavy metal, you know, crazy. Uh, I, I don't know. His stuff just comes across as really pedantic to me. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I don't want to like have this devolve into an argument about Venom 90s art, but I mean – you know, to me, what, you know, what I always appreciate about McFarlane's Venom was that there was kind of this chiseled mythological, you know, Greek style interpretation of this character. It kind of made him godlike in a weird way. And, and, you know, yes, it's not, it's more reserved in terms of tongues and tendrils, but like, I mean, McFarlane's venom is intimidating as f you know what i mean <laughs> like, oh yeah absolutely it, it, it is it, it's a sight to behold and and this is not and stegman's art was not that like it kind of like pushed up to the level of trying to give him muscles and stuff but it wasn't this larger than life force of nature um and then but like you said sandoval kind of i think embraces more of the the larson and bagley stylings of of venom and and it works stegman's art to me has always been kind of like it's got an edge but it's friendly like i yes. never i never really am frightened by it it still looks cartoony whereas mcfarland's venom is just like all of the hatch marks that he worked into his drawings are just creates this sinisterness about everybody, to be honest. I mean, MJ is all curls, you know, in McFarlane's yeah. yeah. book. But even Peter kind of had like some, like, he was doughy in moments, but also kind of like when he got angry, it was over the top, you know? Yeah, definitely. Anyway, you want to grade this thing? Yeah, um, I guess I'm going to give this one a C minus just because I find the arc so enjoyable. And Dan, once once more, we are simpatico because I am going to give it the same score. There we go, C minus. Well, Mark, even I am exhausted by the length of this episode. So exhausted that I can barely contain my excitement over how excellent all this Patreon content is. Did you know that we record these episodes because of the tremendous support that all of our fans give us over on Patreon? Dan, I, I, I do. I do. I know all about this, but I, I just want to keep this really long episode going before I just drop dead from exhaustion. You know, this whole Venom Inc. thing and, and having to relive this over and over and all these intros and outros, I, I think I'm developing an ulcer. Well, Mark, I've got good news then. We're going to discuss Venom Inc. Omega now, the final issue, and you can take your indigestion elsewhere. 
Ulcers are more than indigestion, man. <laughs> I'm sorry for not being super sensitive to it, Mark. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the conclusive part of the Venom Inc. Uh, mega arc, the first ever Spider-Man Venom crossover, Dan. I, I, I still don't – I have to always just kind of say that and – with a really sarcastic smile on my face every time, <laughs> which I know <laughs> this is a visual medium. So you know what I'm talking about, right, people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no. Yeah, no. Um, but in all seriousness, okay, we are in Venom, Inc. Omega because with Alpha must always come Omega when it comes to Marvel crossover events. Uh, that is what the 90s taught me. So we, we are getting the big conclusion. It's the big melee between the 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 surprising foursome of Spider-Man, Eddie Brock, Flash Thompson as anti-venom and, and Black Cat Felicia Hardy uh, fighting Lee Price as super maniac or mega maniac. I mean, what do we what do we call in this thing? <laughs> I like super maniac, if only because it's kind of like a riff on Superman. Okay, very, very good. Um, and, uh, you know, the first thing you got to notice here, Dan, is, you know, we, we just got done talking about the last issue of, of this arc, uh, the Venom issue, and that one kind of ends on this note of showing this hulking Venom, so, you know, kind of big, big burly Venom with machine guns sticking out of uh, his shoulders. Uh, what, it, what does Mega, or what does Super Maniac look like in this issue, Dan? Just Venom scaled up by three? Yeah. I mean, at one point, did they even refer to him being 50 feet tall? Or did I just imagine that in a no, few they, dream? No, they say that. They say that. So, so I mean, you know, this is where we're at. We're, we're talking about a 50-foot tall Lee Price as Venom. I don't know. I know this is comics, Dan, and what's really the limits when it comes to comics, but... It seems pretty silly to me, right? <laughs> is Venom's new skill changing its mass? Yeah, I, 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 you know, maybe, maybe Bendis is adding this skill and you know overusing it already. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, the Venom sting. Yeah, I don't really know what's up with this, but you know, let's just buy it. Sure, why not? Uh, Go with it. Yeah, going. okay. So so going with it, uh I mean, there's a there's a lot of things you can complain about. Like one one of the things I'd say is you couldn't redesign the costume in some way, give it like a different style of spider and whiteness to really distinguish it from Venom. It literally is just like his big uncle showed up and is ready to fight them. But okay, okay, enough about that. Let's just go with it. We're fighting a giant Venom with mind control powers. Mark, what did you think of this as the conclusion? I mean, again, it's it's not not to beat this horse even deader, but you know, kind of upping the stakes to this level of absurdity kind of seals the deal for me. That you know, it's almost like. Everyone involved understands that Lee Price as like a real major antagonist is not a, not a not he's not going to move a dial here. You know what I mean? So let's let's just, you know, throw throw good sense to the to the win to the win here and and make him 50 feet tall, because what else are you really going to do with Lee Price at this point? 
Um, Although they are sure to leave Lee Price with Venom powers at the end because this is a, a road we definitely want to travel down in the future. Well, you never know. You never know when that, that Lee Price mania, no pun intended, is going gonna, is gonna to really sink in. But, you know, so we we – after basically having a, a Venom issue that was entirely a battle, this Omega issue is entirely a battle. Although this one, I think, was far less visually interesting because, again, we kind of have this very conservatively designed super mega monster villain uh, going up against them. And, um, you know, one of the first things that threw me from a visual standpoint is, you know, we, we kind of do this thing where, and this is kind of a, uh, a trope of comics that drives me crazy. You know, you, you have a team of people, but they're all going to go after the big boss individually rather than as a team, you know? <laughs> so, um, so the first, the first one to be an idiot is Flash and, you know, he's coming at him with the anti-venom and, 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 and super maniac says something to this, to the tune of, you know, you think you can hurt me with your antivitamin, but let's see what I can do with this tree. And he like hits him with something, but it doesn't look like a tree. And then, but we are led to believe that this might have killed Flash. Like, like they went right for the, he's dead. And it's like, what? <laughs> a, a tree? That's all it took after all this time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and a, a tree in which we didn't really get a visual of at least am i am i being obtuse about how the page has been rendered here dan i mean do you know what i'm talking about i actually think it's rendered better than you're saying okay you see him in a previous panel holding a tree but the but the one you were talking about where he swings it and acknowledges that he's holding a tree it's like behind his head very briefly sketched it's not very clear okay well you 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 read the page better than I did because I, I I just it just completely threw me when I saw it and I had to go back a couple of times to see what I was looking at and then also again kind of being like so wait what about what about this page and this I, I mean you know you have characters talking about Flash being potentially dead here yet. I don't know, like the, the, the mortal threat of that was never conveyed artistically to me here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like it's not like his body was shattered or something. You know what I mean? Like it just looked like he got punched really hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a nice big splash, but there needed to be like seeing him hit a wall or some kind of result to that. We just see him get belted really hard and. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it seems to be a powerful punch, but yeah, that would have been nice to have some follow-through. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, these are superhero comics with, with characters with absurd, over-the-top powers. I've seen, uh, you know, Spider-Man take a punch from Juggernaut and whatnot. Like, it's going to take more than a tree for me, you know, someone getting hit by a tree branch or a tree uh, trunk for me to be like oh my god this is it <laughs> this is the end <laughs> there, uh, for a second there i thought you know knowing this creative team and how they like to shake things up that they were gonna legitimately kill flash thompson in this kind of dumb of a way and i'm like am i really gonna turn this page and see one of the oldest marvel characters dead from a tree 
<laughs> so I'm glad that that's not true. Uh, no. Thanks to his brand new healing powers bestowed upon him by Anti Venom, which yeah. was that a thing? I don't remember it being a thing, but what do I know? Well, Spider Man legitimately says in this comic, "I can't keep up with all these new symbiote powers." So yeah. there you go. Yeah, and the, and the, and there's going to be more to you know throw us all off in a few pages but um you know the other thing besides kind of the art here that i really wanted to pick on a little bit if i may <laughs> i'm being mean today dan um never mark never the, the 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 dialogue during this fight is to me just brutal we got dan slot and mike casa co-credited as the scripters of this story and, you know, I feel, I mean, certainly, you know, we've been talking about Dan Slott comics for, for years. I, I, I feel like I know his voice. Um, and while Mike Costa is, is newer, I mean, I've been reading Venom since he's been writing it and I've read some of his other stuff. So I kind of like at least have a sense of his voice. And the problem with, with the, the story especially is I don't, I don't feel this comic is either of their voices. It's some kind of, very homogeneous mishmash of of them and and the end result is this just awful hokey dialogue uh filled with i don't even call them puns because they're not it's just like bad banter that's maybe meant to be funny but sounds like like a we said it in the last episode like a video game script you know like like i feel like i'm reading cutscenes in a in a in a final fantasy game or something you know like it's just that like, might not yeah. even be fair to video games yeah you know maybe like a bad translation video game <laughs> like, <laughs> like i mean for example like you know when when Felicia comes to the realization that because she's already been infected with maniac once she can again which okay, okay. yeah fine <laughs> I, I guess so I guess <laughs> your it's, your guess is as good as mine um, and as good as hers I know um, you know she starts to fight with with Lee and he's all like trying to change her again. And she's like, don't you get it? You can't, you know, you, you can't change me. You moron. You're as smart as you are. And he's like, gigantic. I'm like, huh? <laughs> 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 like, okay. And then a few pages later, I guess, guess again, it's, it's Felicia. I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe, maybe, maybe the issue is Felicia banter with, with Lee She's trying to use like the the anti venom infused whip or whatever it is on him, and he's like, "This hurts like a sunburn," which is to say, not much. Can I put I can mean, I put some cricket sounds in here? I mean, with a with a dry cool wit like that, you could be a next action hero, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> what about Spider Man's role in all this? I mean, he literally at one point is like. Hey, I'm I'm ducking out of this fight. Uh, Flash, you take over. I gotta go save some other people, I guess. 
you 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 do it. I, you do I, I, it. I'll, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be over here. Yeah, don't bother me. I mean, you know, they do the old reach back to the uh, brand new day one one and done with Flash, you know, the flashback and, you know, like you could definitely tell that Dan Slott's fingers were all over over that that callback. And and not a bad callback, although then I feel like they kind of ruined the moment by having Flash get up and dust himself off halfway through the motivational speech to be like, it's cool, man. I don't need your speech. <laughs> it's like a Marvel Cinematic Universe moment where they value the bathos over the pathos. Yeah, that's a good one. But uh, you don't agree. You don't agree with that because you like all the bathos in. I don't in, like all the bathos. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I just liked more of the bathos in Thor than you did. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, I I agree with it in Guardians of the Galaxy too, at least. Um, but whatever. We're not getting into that fight here, Dan. Um, yeah, but, but I'm but, just yes, trying to not talk about this comic. Let's yeah. get into our feelings about movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, Spider Man's pretty useless here, um, which is great, I guess. Uh, so, um, you know, and then and then we get one of my all time favorite things to do in a story that is just completely floundering. Uh, the heroes are, you know pressed against their you know the wall so to speak so let's 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 get some dois machina in here uh how are we going to solve this problem we're going to mix our bloods and the <laughs> <Okay>. bloods <laughs> the blood of the anti-venom is going to mix with the blood the antigens in my blood from being in, infected by maniac and that's going to beat him because Boom. Because boom. You heard I mean, it here. I mean, come on. This isn't this is this is ridiculous. Like this is so lazy. Am I am I am I wrong? No, it's super lazy. I mean, maybe if this whole story was about blood at some point, or there was like some kind of blood brothers reference. Now we just get like a Predators reference, which they have to call out because that visual isn't iconic enough. Right. Yeah. So blood, a nice super bro handshake. Like you mentioned, Lee Price is defeated, but is he? Because he still has the symbiote or elements of the symbiote on him. Oh, Mania is involved in this or whatever her name is. I, I, I always forget that when we talk about the story. <laughs> Because that character has just been so important over the years. <laughs> well, the one thing you can be thankful is that her symbiote has moved on to someone else. So you can forget about her and then quickly get to forgetting about Lee Price. There you go. For what it's worth, the there the story is salvaged a little bit. By what kind of happens after the fight, in my opinion, because I feel like there's a realignment with some of the characters, specifically Eddie, Flash and Felicia. And even though we've really done nothing over the course of six issues to build to this point, so it's not earned. So I don't want to give this too much credit, but in in a vacuum, 
the realignment with these characters, it's like it at least makes me want to read about these characters again. It's like, oh, it's an acknowledgement how crappy all the, our previous decisions are. So we'll use a crap sandwich to make it look good that we undid all of our previously crappy decisions. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. I mean, like, I don't want to pay it too much of a compliment. I mean, in the review that's up on superiorspiretalk.com right now, I probably, in retrospect, did give it too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> At least in, in terms of how I tabulated a final score for it but at the same token like let's we could talk a little bit about this i mean you know it seems that flash is gonna stay on as anti-venom and kind of serve as like almost like a mediator of all things symbiote and spider which is kind of like okay so he's still a player here and he kind of has some value i'm okay with that it kind of puts the cat back in the box or whatever bag or wherever the cat came from uh, in regards to that character, because it's like once you have him going into outer space and all that stuff, you can't really make him just Flash Thompson, the football player guy anymore. Right. He's kind of entered into a realm beyond that, which is a shame because I like him as part of Peter's supporting cast and having him kind of gallivanting as a symbiotic character kind of removes his everyman kind of potential. Yes. Well, he was never really an everyman, but it, right. like his like, oh, it's my pedestrian friend that I hang out with at the coffee shop. Right. But this one I feel like is at least a little more realistic than special ops Venom or special ops Flash or... Guardians of the Galaxy Flash hanging out with Valkyrie. You know, like, I feel like he still has the potential to be Flash from time to time, but with, like, this kind of weird, I don't want to say superhero, but kind of, he's not an anti-hero either, but this kind of other hidden powered side to him. So it's not terrible to me. No, it's kind of a nice reward for the character after all he's gone through. You know, like, he gets his legs back to some extent, even though that wasn't necessarily holding him back. He, you know, he's free of his addiction and this kind of weight of the potential danger that the Venium symbiote could pose. He's finally gone through hell and gotten some sort of, I don't know if I want to call it a reward, but he gets to be like his hero. And there's a nice moment between them where he acknowledges that Spider-Man was his hero and has the kind of favor returned, which is nice. Yes. There's this really, I thought, interesting moment between Eddie and Felicia at the end, which, I mean, with Eddie, I don't even know. I mean, I, I said earlier that it was a realignment. I don't know if it's truly a realignment as much as just like kind of maybe, and they can, they can undo this all in the next issue of Venom. So let's, let's not celebrate it too early, but there just kind of seemed to be an acknowledgement of, all right, this is who Eddie Brock is. Venom is. He's an anti-hero who is the lethal protector. And, and this is what we want him to be. 
because it seems like since Brock has come back, Marvel really hasn't been clear about who Eddie is as Venom. And this kind of seemed to be more definitive about who he is in kind of his riding off into the sunset there. So the hope is that they carry that through. We'll, We'll have to see. But it at least was like, okay, you know what? Like if, if we're just going to be clear, crystal clear about who Eddie is and what he does and, and kind of where his, you know, the fact that he has really no alliances, but like still because of his twisted moral code does what he thinks is right. I'm down with that. Like, like, like let's, let's see that character then and let's do it for more than one issue here and there. Yeah. And I hope they stick with it because, you know, relating to the character we follow, Spider-Man, you know, there's a whole moment where Felicia talks him down from, you know, taking the symbiote away from Eddie to kind of allow Eddie to be a hero of some sort. I don't necessarily buy it. Like, Spider-Man's like, yeah, he's a murderer. You know, he's done all these things. And she's and like, maybe no, arson. no, no. Yeah, maybe arson. <laughs> she's like, no, no, he's going to be nice now. Right, and, right. okay, fine. But if he's going to do that, then, like, let's really stick with that and stop playing with the whole, but at any moment he could become a cannibalistic nightmare. You know, like, right. it'll undercut all this. Which is a shame, as I'm saying it, because I don't really like my Venom as a hero. I like him as a villain that's unpredictable, but uh, I'm just asking that Marvel choose something and stick with it for a while yes yes agreed i mean if that's what they're gonna do i mean i think if you're gonna have venom in his own book he has to be like the anti-hero lethal protector character if you're gonna do venom as an as a supporting antagonist type character like like what we have with carnage then um you know you can go that route route with him but um anyway but then you mentioned Felicia, and, and I think hers was the most significant realignment. And again, it was also probably the least earned of the realignments based on what happened in the story, because it still was not entirely clear why after she got cleaned up of the maniac virus, why she chose to stay aligned with Spider-Man, Flash, and Eddie. But the fact that she did, she was on the quote-unquote good guys team, but you know, she has this moment with Eddie at the end where she's kind of bemoaning the loss of her empire and all she built up. And Eddie's just kind of like, you were never that person. Come on. Which is like what, you know, most fans have been screaming since 2014. <laughs> uh, thanks, Eddie Brock, I guess. Yeah, thanks, Eddie, for finally saying it to her. <laughs> all it took was Venom to correct uh, Black Hat. You know, I, that's the character I want extolling moral virtue. Right. And it seems like Felicia's destined to go back to being kind of a, a femme fatale anti-hero character again, which is what she is. She became a gang lord in a blink of an eye, and in a blink of an eye, it went away. So yeah. totally worth the investment. Now, my curiosity is, will this be reflected in all of the 12 dozen other Marvel titles where she's a gang lord and that's the central plot of their stories? 
Right. Well, a lot of those are Bendis books since he's gone. So. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Um. So we'll see. We'll see post Bendis what the Felicia status quo is. But, um, yeah. I, I, but but again, like, like, especially because she was getting so overused in this gang lord role. I mean seeing Felicia pop up in these books was driving me crazy. And, and now I'm like, okay, if we're going to kind of go, I, I mean, I get that we, you got to change these characters. You can't do the same thing over and over again. But like the change that they did with Felicia was just, was just awful. I mean, it was character assassination in the, in the truest sense. Yeah. No, um, I, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. So like, Let's let's get her. Let's realign her, and maybe you know if you need to change things up again in a little bit of time, you know, take some time off, and then you can think of something fresher and that's a little more reasonable to do with her. You know, like yeah, it doesn't always have to be like you know, costumed superhero sex. <laughs> There's got to be a middle ground, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'm just ready for the character to kind of go away for a while and then sure. come back in an interesting role. Yeah, I mean, you know, for the longest time, Marvel really didn't do anything with Felicia. <laughs> and then we got so much Felicia. <laughs> Yeah, and at least at the end of this, she's kind of healed her wounds with Peter. Like, she seems to have let him off the hook for all that he did, supposedly, to her. Right. Um, right. It's kind of a cheap thing, but at least when she comes back, she won't be a gang lord and also won't be like, oh, Peter, you did this stuff to me. Da, da, da. Right. Exactly. In those exact words, in that tone. <laughs> Anything else from you, Dan? Not really. Um, I mean, we got an artist change towards the end with uh, Gerardo Sandoval, and I thought it was most obvious. I mean, it was obvious throughout, but like the most obvious in the Peter Mockingbird scene, where Peter just looks like a nightmare. But what did you think of that scene? We had been complaining about that this felt very separate from the status quo, and you know, Peter comes back and he's kind of done being on a part of a team. And she's like, well, I let you have your space and you let me have my space. And I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting point to make. If you're going to make any point about, you know, relationships, which is kind of what this book promised, at the very least, they touch in on that in an interesting way about allowing each character to go on their own separate adventures without the need to always shoehorn them into each other's stories. Right. Although they do that by shoehorning her into the story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's that was just kind of my first issue with it is like, I mean, we really have completely abandoned this subplot and wrongfully abandoned it but it's been abandoned so to kind of like you know at the end of this well it cost 4.99 so i'm assuming it was a little bit more than the standard 20 21 pages you know to kind of just plug her in these last three pages of of that it was kind of like all right let's it's just even more another reminder that venom inc i feel as a concept was probably something developed independent of marvel legacy and everything else that was going on and then once they started legacy they realized 
oh, we need to we need to shove this in somewhere. So they did, um, despite the fact that it really disrupted the overall flow of of at least Peter and Spider Man's story. So. All right, so we we're back to that again, and we're reminding people of that. And and you're right, it's a it's an interesting kind of dynamic to set up. Although I, I did kind of groan with the punchline of all that, which was like, you know, Peter messed up the bathroom and her like doing like a Peter, you know, like Lucy, you left the blade in the door, <laughs> you left the toilet seat up. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was like, I, I think I said in my review, this was like one toilet seat up joke away from being like a really trite 60s sitcom, you know? Like, I don't know. I kind of like the that the superhero version of leaving the toilet seat up is having an intergalactic symbiotic creature wreck your bathroom. We've had this argument before, Dan, not necessarily about a intergalactic symbiotic creature messing up your bathroom, but like when when I feel that Spider-Man devolves into like hokey sitcomisms. I mean, I love me some sitcoms, Dan, and I love me some Spider-Man, but I I, I don't like me some sitcommy Spider-Man. I just right. don't, don't don't seem to feel that those mediums should 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 intermingle. So for me, I was kind of like, eh. <laughs> I'll take a little bit of it. Spider-Man is hokey at times, and you know sometimes he can go to hokey places. So, all right. Well, you know, one of these days, Bobby, I'm <laughs> gonna punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dan, want to grade this thing? <laughs> sure. We have to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a big pass. Uh, no, it's like a C minus for me. I'll say D plus. So that I think we're it's the first time we disagreed. I don't know if it's a disagreement, but I, I don't really know. I thought that I, I mean, like again, I don't want to give it too much credit for its ending, but it makes me happy that in future stories, our characters are going to be a little more normal, I guess, or defined. I don't know that this story defined them. Other than saying we're defining them, there you go. Because you said so. Do you feel like as we're approaching what seems to be the end of the Dan Slot run, as we talked about on a previous episode, um, that there's some sense of him putting the toys back in the toy box? Like yeah, I mean, hat? I mean that definitely crossed my mind, um, and Flash too, for that matter. I mean, it was really kind of Dan Slot who who pushed Flash to these very out of character limits. Not that he's like, like you said, going back to being dopey old Eugene, you know, the old high school bully. But yeah, I, 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 it seems to be going in that direction, Dan. I mean, like this is looking more and more like a creator ending a very long term run on a character and kind of cleaning up. I don't want to say the mess, but but putting the toys back, as you say. Yeah. All right. Well, that was it. All the Venom Inc. discussed. And, you know, if you want to keep up with these exciting stories right alongside Mark and I, why not join our Patreon club? It's the price of a comic a month, as we've said, ad nauseum on the show. And, of course, it'll help Mark and I continue creating all this awesome content 
Plus, we've already reviewed over half of Threat Level Red, so you can jump right in and enjoy all those episodes, plus the over 30 others we've recorded throughout the year. And on top of that, we alluded to it earlier, we recorded an episode with Jerry Conway all about his run on New Year Vows and how it ended, and that's a scoop you won't even find on Bleeding Cool. Wow, you're just baiting Bleeding Cool by put, throwing that down out there. They're gonna be, they're gonna, be, they're gonna be subscribers now. <laughs> Will Bleeding Cool spend three ninety nine just to stick it to the comics industry? And then, and then Rich Johnson will be like, "Well, we've had, we, we, we've long believed this going back to 2011." <laughs> there you go. All right. Also, the Fantastic Four are never coming back. Um, <laughs> In the meantime, Dan, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk, and you can read all of my writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. As per usual, Mark, what about your fine self? Oh, my fine self. You can find me at, at ChasingASMblog on Twitter. Of course, you can find me on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, and you can still order my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Mark, is there a chapter in that book all about the lesson that we learned reading the very first issue of Spider-Man? Absolutely, Dan. It's uh, chapter three, and that chapter is entitled, With Great Podcasts Must Also Come, The All-New Amazing Spider-Talk. Uh, Mark, did you read Venom 161? Not yet. Why? Surprise. Venom's having a baby. Oh, that's right. I did see that. I did read it. Sorry. Uh, I know. Hey, I got a unique Venom idea. What if there was a spawn of Venom? Now, hear me out. It's going to be unlike those hundreds of other spawns. <laughs>